Hoopsville. Hoopsville on the air early on this Sunday evening, the 23rd of February. Welcome in and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Hope you're ready to buckle up because we got a lot to talk about tonight in what is another busy weekend of Division Three basketball. Of course, it's our in a week's time, we'll be talking about who's in or who's out of the NCAA tournament. We will be trying to break that all down in a week's time right here on this show. And a week from tomorrow, we will find out what the brackets are. So there's a lot to play for still in Division Three. If you've got questions for us, and I'm sure many do, you can tweet us to them at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. You can send them to us uh, via email, hoopsville at d3sports.com. You can also join us on simulcast, facebook.com slash hoopsville, or you can join us um, on YouTube, youtube.com slash d3hoopsville. Of course, want to thank our partners at Blue Frame Technology for the streaming platform that you are likely watching this on, on our main show page. Also on um, the OTTs, whether it's on Amazon Fire, Apple TV, Roku, or Android apps. We appreciate it. Uh, we, we mentioned, as we always do, it seems the last few weeks on Thursday, that we had a quiet week of results, not a lot of upsets, and that had been resulting in craziness on the weekend. We once again have seen that as on the men's side, a number of losses, especially in the top 25. Um, I said on Thursday's show, when someone asked me when I thought, or, or maybe it was Sunday's show, I'm kind of getting them all conflated now, or confused and confu- combined in my head. What I thought it would take for Randolph Macon to get ahead of Emory. Well, this was a perfect week, and I take advantage of that with them playing Guilford, but Randolph Macon loses to Guilford 64 or 63-54. And interestingly enough, for Emory, they lost to Case Western Reserve, if you can believe it. After beating Carnegie Mellon on Friday night, they lose today 83-78. So the top two in the South region both lose. All things equal, that might give it to Emory. That being said, it's a it's a like it has been. But that being said, Emory losing a fourth time might change that winning percentage conversation back to Randolph-Macon. Middlebury lost 182 to Trinity. Uh, They were the number one in the Northeast, so that now becomes more interesting. And, of course, Middlebury is likely a Pool C lock, so we've already lost one of those Pool C bids that some may be vying for. Heidelberg lost, uh, Marietta, I should say, lost again this time to Heidelberg, and it wasn't close, 85-68. WPI had a rough weekend, lost to Springfield uh, early in the week, and then lost to MIT this weekend. Babson lost to Springfield in overtime. Whitworth lost to Linfield. Linfield swept the weekend. We had their coach on the show Thursday. They go out and they upset the apple cart. Now, they end up the two seed, I believe, by tiebreaker. But they share the conference regular season title for the first time since 2001. Hats off to Linfield, the the, uh, 91-80 win over Whitworth. And, of course, on Friday, they defeated uh, Whitman 73-70. So, to say the least, um, really impressive for Linfield there. They'll finish second pretty much assured. I don't know if it assures, but I'm pretty confident that the Northwest Conference is probably going to be a one-bid league this year but we'll talk more about that later on um on the women's side well we had certainly plenty of results there as well top 25 not as brutal as the men's side but transylvania we mentioned had lost loris had lost they both had got at least got back in the win column this weekend augsburg the same thing had lost a bet well, lost to bethel but then beat gustavus adolphus 
Uh, Austin lost to St. Thomas of Texas. That puts Austin in a really tough spot because their SOS is in the bottom quarter of Division Three, to be honest. And Austin may be in a little bit of trouble there. Trying lost to Hope, 59-52 in a battle at the top of the MIAA. In the receiving votes category, Haverford lost to Johns Hopkins, believe it or not, in a very low-scoring affair, 45-39. But Haverford had already wrapped up the number one bid, or the number one seat, I should say, in the Centennial Conference. NYU lost to Chicago and then absolutely put a destruction on WashU. 95-42. For the first time in 30 years, the WashU Bears will not be in the NCAA tournament, and NYU, part of the reason for that. Gettysburg, who had lost to Dickinson early in the week, defeated Muhlenberg. That knocked Muhlenberg out of the Centennial playoffs, and as a result, because Swarthmore women won, Swarthmore win a year after having five wins to their total and not having more than five wins in four seasons. Get more than five wins, certainly, but they're in the conference playoffs. So hats off to Swarthmore women. Catholic lost to Drew in overtime, 76-67, in a surprising result. And Albright lost to Messiah, 74-68. So those are the receiving votes category. A lot of that shaking up some conference results, shaking up some conference seedings, and most certainly changing the, the, the lay of the land, as it were, for regional rankings. One of the other big results that took place this weekend was uh, N- uh, New Jersey City women's basketball. Uh, they had made the NJAC playoffs for the first time in 31 years and then decided to go out and defeat Kane in the process. So earlier today, I talked to Pat Devaney two, in his second year Heading NJCU. Remember, this was a two years ago. The program was basically um, on the skids. They had had a fight out after an NJAC game outside at the bus with the opponent. The coach had been suspended. Many of the players had been suspended. It looked at like dark times for NJCU. Well, they hire Pat Devaney, uh, an alum of the pro of of NJCU, a former assistant for the Gothic Knights. He comes in and in his second year, they're in the playoffs. They get an upset win. I talked to him earlier today. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it's the head coach of the NJCU women's basketball team, Pat Devaney Sr. First and foremost, Pat, thanks for taking the time to join us, and congratulations on on what is certainly a milestone for this program. I appreciate it, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, listen, let's be honest. Two years ago, this program was catching headlines for the wrong reasons. Uh, you were tasked with taking over this program in reality, where did you think you could you could send this program, or what direction did you think you could take it, and how long did you think you could get to this point? In all reality, I thought we could get to this point in a matter of three years with me on the job. I was an assistant coach there from 2012 to 2015. So um, while I was there as an assistant coach, we were getting the program to that direction. I believe my last stint there as an assistant, we won six conference games. So we were on our way there, and it was just a matter of time of getting the right kids in and uh, having them adjust to what we were trying to do. To some degree, you had to start program. Yeah, some degree, you had to start this program from scratch, right? I mean, after the, the to, for lack of a better word, the debacle of that season, there was really a, a, an essence of having to start from scratch, start over, and, and find an identity for this, this program. Yes, that is correct. Um, there was hardly anybody on the roster. So when I took the job, I had to make some calls, and I started <laughs> receiving calls. And we wound up getting in about 13 kids 
and that was from June 18th on. So from June 18th until the end of August, we were able to get around 13, 14 kids in. When when you saw this opportunity in front of you, was it one you, I know you had been a previous assistant, and obviously you had played for NJCU on the men's side. Was it one you jumped at? Or did you have hesitations? No, I jumped at it because uh, I used to coach at St. Pat's High School. I was coaching mm-hmm. on the boys' side, and then I was uh, injured. I was offered the assistant coaching job at NJCU. So um, when I was offered that job, I was a little skeptical because coaching girls and knowing how tough I coach, I didn't know if mm. that would work. And then being from NJCU, didn't know if I'd be able to get girls in, but it wound up working out. And then uh, now, you know, it's finally coming to uh, fruitation right now. The other thing you mentioned, you got 13 um, recruits, per se, in that in that opening effort. Uh, with the bad headlines that obviously came with the previous or that season, did you find any apprehension, or was there willingness to jump on board and help re- redefine this program? You know what? Shockingly, it was willingness to jump on board. I put it to the kids that, you know, they could do something that has never been done before in school history. And, you know, that's something that can be historic and legendary at the same time. So, you know, a lot of competitors jump at that, you know, because you don't get an opportunity to be the first ever to do something. So kids bought into that. You got um, two seniors, I believe, on this team in Hannah Johnson and and McCray as well. Tell me about the upperclassmen and how they have been instrumental in, in the turnaround, in the quick turnaround of this program. Hannah Johnson is the heart and soul of the team. She's a uh, Division II transfer from Felician College. She's a, a Jersey City native. She went to uh, St. Dom's University, uh, St. Dom's High School. So I knew her as a kid because I knew her father, Mandy Johnson. He played at St. Anthony's and went to uh, hmm. Marquette. So uh, I kept in touch with Hannah. She wound up uh, leaving school, I believe, her junior year. She wound up coming to us. So that was huge, having Hannah that kind of caliber player in person come to us. She's the captain and leader of the team. I believe she, she probably leads the league in, in uh, charges. She has around 30, she has around 30 something charges. So that goes to show you what kind of leader she is. I'm assuming you're talking about taking them, not necessarily de- dealing them out. No, no, taking them, taking them. <laughs> yeah. That'd be <laughs> yeah, a different stat, right? On the line for the team. <laughs> sure. Uh, and McCray, yeah, go ahead. McCray. McCray, she's a, she's a feisty one. She's mm-hmm. a, she's another captain, and she she has a heart of a lion. You know she doesn't back down to anything. She steps up to every challenge. She transferred over to me this year from uh, CCNY. She saw the kind of success that Marasia Bacon had last year. Mm-hmm. So she thought she could maybe could replicate it and help what we were trying to do over here. And she's been a, a really big addition to us. I wouldn't say the season start off um, awesome for you guys. It started with with some with some stumbles and some bumps in the road. Um, you guys fought through those, to say the least. Uh, you won the first game against St. Elizabeth, and then unfortunately lost your next five and six of your next seven, and a number of them. But it seemed about midway through January, you guys somewhat found your stride. What changed? Well, what happened was we lost our, I would say, our best, most talented kid in Jasmine Reese, a six-one freshman. She could play point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward. So when we lost her, you know, we kind of 
went into a little hole. But then girls started to uh, step up and start finding themselves in it and their game. And that's what, that was probably the biggest thing. They started believing in themselves and, and getting that confidence back. And once we got that, that first win after that losing streak, it just started all falling into place. They started believing. You lost uh, to TCNJ in conference play on the 8th after, of January after the, the holiday, then won three in a row, lost three in a row, won three in a row, lost two in a row. Now you're on a four-game winning streak, so it's a little streaky. Was there a point, though, even despite losing streaks and winning streaks, that you guys kind of saw into the future and realized, hey, we, we've got a chance here of making the conference tournament, and that suddenly became a real goal? Oh, yes, that, that was our biggest goal coming into the season was making a conference tournament. We knew we had the talent. We just knew that we needed, we needed to gel and having a whole, it's basically, basically a new team together. Mm-hmm. It was going to take time. And, you know, sure enough, towards the end of the season, now it's starting to gel. The kids know each other's strengths and weaknesses. They know where each other, you know, likes the ball and where they don't like the ball at. So that's that's the biggest thing, just knowing each other's game now and trusting each other. Well, it's not just a rebuilding program from two years ago. This team hadn't been in the conference playoffs in 31 years. And this conference playoffs had ebbed and flowed in, in terms of size, so it's not like it wasn't possible. So this is a this is a huge step, not be, only because of what happened a handful of years ago, but what this program has been through for three decades. <laughs> yes, but... Uh... What I tell people all the time, I'm from the area, so there is so much talent around mm-hmm. here. It's just, I mean, it, it's crazy the talent that's around here. And all you have to do is go out and go to these games and just, you know, sell them on yourself and the program and what we're about at NJSU because we're about family. And once we get kids on campus, they see what we're about and they see how tight-knit the community is at NJSU. So, you know, that was something that was a big selling point for a lot of these kids. And that's a selling point that I sell to the kids because, you know, at NJC, we're a small school, but we really care about these kids and want to see them succeed in the future. Listen, if you guys finish the season having made the conference playoffs, first time in 31 years, and you lose in the, in, against Kane, it, it's still a tremendous season. Yeah, you finish slightly below 500, but you know, cherry on top as you made the conference tournament. You look back and you're like, you're proud of this. We can build on it. You guys didn't think that was good enough, though. Uh, You decided you needed one more challenge. You were down 15 points in the first half to Kane, and you guys rallied back. I know it's all about the ebb and the flow of the game, but at what point did, A, you realize there was a chance you might be able to knock off Kane at their place, and, B, when did that reality become become real, and all of a sudden everybody went, oh, wait, hold on. What? And and things get a little te- a little tense. The, the, towards the end of the first quarter, um, we had to start pressing. And then once we saw that we were able to start pressing and get a couple turnovers, we knew coming into the second half with uh, hardly anybody in foul trouble, we could, you know, we could turn the heat up a little bit and try to get them to turn the ball over. And that, that was probably the biggest turning point of the game was getting those turnovers in the third quarter and scoring 22 points in the third and holding yeah. them to 11 points. So that was, that was the biggest part of the game right there. Yeah, that was incredible. You guys end up taking the lead late in the fourth quarter, uh, and then I'm sure it was all just helter-skelter at that point as everybody's trying to you know, either gain control, win the game, whatever it is, back and forth. 
how do you remain calm? How, do you even remember what the final couple of minutes of that game was like? Yes, I, yes, I do. Uh, Hannah, Hannah Johnson wound up hitting a three, which uh, got us within one. Mm-hmm. We threw the press on, wound up getting a, uh, a turnover. Ayanna Lewis wound up getting fouled. She hit the two free throws, wound up going out one. And then, um, yeah, they called a timeout. We put the pressure on. We knew we had some fouls to give. So uh, we just knew, you know, if, if somehow they blew past you, just foul them right away. You know, if, don't make sure you don't foul them in the act of shooting. Sure. So that that was basically the whole thing. And then just denying switch everything. Hmm. Which, they, which our girls did perfectly. You which got, I was very pleased with. You forced 29 turnovers in that game, 18 of them in the second half. Obviously, that was the key to this game. What was the reaction like? Not only that you were able to dictate things a bit against a pretty good Kane squad, but that you were actually able to pull off the upset on the road. Yes, well, you know what? Credit to Keen, because Mandy uh, King, she runs a hell of a program over there, and she has two great players, and Pace and Shannon. And uh, just to, to contain them, that was something that was a huge task for us, because both of them average 20-something a game. They probably both could be players of the year. So, you know, that, that, was, that was the biggest point of it, of the whole game, was containing them, too. You've got uh, Montclair State on the road coming up on Tuesday uh, where you'll take on the number two seed. Obviously a well-coached program. We've known that a number of years under Karen Harvey. Is it is it house money at this point? Are we, is it, is it, it doesn't matter what happens now, or is the goal to knock off another top seed? Hey, this is the second season here, so the goal is is to win. You know, we sure. play these games to win. They keep score. So we're, we're trying to win. I respect Karen to the fullest. I think she is an amazing coach. You know, it's been proven in what she, what she has done. So it's going to be a huge task for us, but we're up to it. Well, I congratulate you. Pretty impressive, to say the least, what you guys were able to accomplish. And uh, I congratulate you on what, uh, what you've been able to do to change the tide in such a quick amount of time. That is certainly significant and, and one we should tip our hats to. We always give our guests, though, the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? No, I just uh, greatly appreciate it and uh, tuned in to NJCU Women's Basketball for the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've changed the uh, the course of history, as it were, and you've certainly changed some opinions, I'm sure. And uh, we congratulate you on the quick turnaround. Congratulations on what you've also done in the on the f- floor. Good luck uh, on Tuesday. We'll look forward to talking to you somewhere down the road. Thank you. Bless you. Take care. Absolutely. Pat Devaney joining us here on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline from NJCU. Once again, that was earlier today when we got a chance to talk to Pat. Congratulations to the program. They'll play at Montclair State on Tuesday, as we mentioned. Um, certainly a quick turnaround. Appreciate Pat coming on to talk about it earlier today. Another note I wanted to bring up, by the way, Swarthmore men's, uh, men's team is the only undefeated team left in, division, in the NCAA period in men's basketball. As yesterday, San Diego State lost in Division One, and there are no undefeated in Division Two. So hats off to Swarthmore. They absolutely manhandled McDaniel. I wouldn't say I was surprised by that, uh, though the f- meeting they had had a few weeks ago, uh, it was a five-point game at halftime. It was 16-2 or something in the first couple of minutes, and Swarthmore looked like they weren't going to miss at one point, and they absolutely blew out McDaniel. So hats off to the Garnet, who finished the regular season undefeated, though certainly, well, not the regular season, but the regular scheduled season. They've got the conference playoffs ahead with uh, the games at their place next weekend in the Centennial Conference. 
We'll take another, well, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll switch gears. We'll talk regional expansion for a bit. Brad Bankston joined me from, uh, he's the commissioner of the Old Dominion Athletic Conference, to talk about the expansion, what it will mean in due time. Um, it is a topic that is you know, of conversation now, even though it may not happen for another 18 months. We talked to Brad coming up, and then we get back into other topics. Randolph Macon's men's basketball coach, Josh Merkel, will join us on the show to talk about his Yellow Jackets. Then Ashley Rogers of Marymount Women's Basketball will join us to talk about the Saints. And we'll also talk to Wisconsin Platteville men's basketball coach Jeff Gard about his team before Ryan and Bill, uh, Bob join me to talk about, really, what teams and what races to watch this week uh, with Pool C implications, obviously. Who will be bubble bursting? We've already had one bubble burst with Middlebury losing uh, this weekend in the NESCAC. How many more will burst along the way? You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. When we come back, Brad Bankston talks to me about regional expansion. Trust me, it's a fascinating conversation, one you'll learn a lot about. Back with more after this. taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. 
We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. I just wanted to get good grades and to do well. But it also made me realize that I have a lot of career goals. You're there to get a full college experience, not only participate in your sport, but participate in things outside of that. And it's all about growing as a person. My coaches have helped me with figuring out who I really am. Their lives are dedicated for us to succeed. Welcome back to Hoopsville here on this Sunday, February the 23rd. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Thanks for tuning in. Got questions for us? Tweet us at D3Hoopsville or use the hashtag Hoopsville. You can also join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We're simulcasting the show. You can also be on YouTube at YouTube.com slash D3Hoopsville where we're simulcasting. You have questions, you can also email us, Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. Changing gears a little bit on the Sunday, one of the reasons we started the show a little bit early is I had a conversation earlier today with Brad Bankston, ODAC commissioner, about regional expansion. It's something that we've been following here on Hoopsville, as you may know. Broke the news back in January that at the convention, the D3 commissioners had approved the plan that was in place. It is now passed the championships committee, which we talked about recently on Hoopsville. It is now headed to the management council. So it felt like it was a good time to talk to Brad, who was one of those kind of spearheaded the entire cause here about what this uh, entire process entailed, how long it's taken, what it's going to look like, and how and when the light bulb moment came that someone said, wait, why don't we go to 10? He talked to me earlier today. Joining me on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it's the commissioner of the Old Dominion Athletic Conference, Bragg Bag. <laughs> we'll try that one again. Three, two, one. Joining me on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it's the Old Dominion Athletic Conference Commissioner, Brad Bankston. Sir, thanks as always for joining me on the show. Dave, thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate what you do this time of the year. I know it's a very busy time for you. Yes, <laughs> it, it can be, but it's fun. This is what we what we kind of live for every That's season. Right. Um, That's right. So obviously, we talk about a lot of topics. You seem to be at the forefront of a number of the of the moves in Division Three and this regional expansion. It, it almost I'm going to throw you a curveball here. It almost dates back to when we were looking at at regions the first time a number of years ago and how many games are being played, we're always trying to make sure that we're doing right by the student-athlete. Is that really the basis of all of this? Well, I think it is. Uh, I think that's a fair assessment that it's been something that over the last 12 years or so has probably been a topic of conversation, certainly within the commissioner's realm. And, and I think also part of the conversation related to the operation of the division championships. So, you know, I think the last time this was done was like in 07 kind of time frame. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a there was an attempt in 2011, 2012-ish mm -hmm. to redraw and try to figure out a better way to kind of look at regions and look for more consistency from one conference to be in the same region for mm -hmm. a comparable sport for perhaps. And, and that really didn't make it very far. Um, and, and a lot of the uh, pushback was from the membership. So 
when we started having this dialogue, I mean, everything's about the student athlete. At the same time, you know, a lot's changed since 2007 to now. And the way some of our institutions are handling their athletics programs, obviously in a very positive way, but, but economically and financially, you know, we have to be very sensitive to make sure that, that what we're doing is very geographic centric as well. So I think that was another portion of this was if we're going to look at a different way to do it, let's make sure that we're focusing on the right things, which is balance, which I think we knew we needed because we had some regions mm-hmm. that were larger than others and, and geographic centric, uh, you know, look to make sure that we're only playing people or compared to people that were realistic for us to be able to compete against uh, within, uh, you know, fiscal restraints that we're all kind of experiencing for sure. Sure. I know that when we first went through or when we have gone through some of these regional um, discussions, it's always, okay, how do we fit them into the mold that we have, the eight that are are the max in in a number of sports or in other sports, how do we expand into those eight or close to those eight? When did the conversation finally turn and when was the light bulb moment to go, wait, why do we have to stick to eight? We can add a few more. Well, I credit uh, my good friend Steve Ulrich uh, at the Centennial, and it was really a a maturation of a discussion that the Division III Championships Committee had had probably, but never going so far as thinking 10. And the Division III Commissioners Association, we have a championship subcommittee that I've been a part of during my time on the championships committee, and Steve was the chair as we were kind of making this a priority. We talked to the membership, the commissioners, and said, what do you see on the horizon? They said, let's take a look at this realignment thing. If we're all kind of behind it and work together on it, it would make logical sense that it would be something that division would be supportive of because we represent the membership to some degree. Um, and and we, we started looking at it. And we're like, look, you know, there's really no way to do this with eight. I mean, uh, you know, because you're really going to pick people up and move them to areas that don't make sense geographically. So we started looking at what the sponsorship numbers were per sport that made sense to say, if you're at eight or you're at six, do you need to go to 10 kind of thing? And we drew that line around 375 to 380 sponsoring institutions. Obviously we have some sports that are in the fourth twenties and thirties, right? So we needed to make sure that we did that. And we said, Hey, what about 10? So we immediately went to the NCAA. We went to the divisional structure. We asked Liz Susha and championships to say, is this off limit? She said, no, you know, frankly, nobody's really even thought about it in Mm. that way. Uh, And the only thing that it incurs is uh, there is a financial impact to expanding the committees because there's a per head cost to the meetings and the attendance at the championship. But she basically, I think she said, go for it. So we, we ran with something that we knew at that point in time, we really felt strongly that we'd be able to use. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's where we, why we are where we are, I guess. Yeah, fascinating when I first heard someone say, well, we're going to go to 10 regions. And I kind of sat there and went, well, duh. Why, why haven't any of us thought of that for a second? Who said well, we had I to stick it's it a eight? a little bit outside the box, yeah. too, when you think 64 in the bracket and right. there are eight pods of eight and but really this part, this portion of the discussion has everything to do with selections and really nothing to do with pairing. Sure. And, uh, sure. and I think that's the disconnect that people have is that, you know, we've got to make sure there's an at-large from every region. No, you don't. No, no. There's nothing that says that you have to do that. You know, we help, we only can have eight because that's the way we pod and, and, and pair. No, it doesn't have anything to do with that. You know, you, you really pair based <laughs> upon this geographic circle that you're going to put around these seeds that are in certain areas where you're trying to, you know, 
do the best you can to balance that pot of eight. <laughs> it's okay to do that. How you select them doesn't make a difference. So part of this, I think, has been a learning process for me. Um, I've been involved with, I started in the championships committee when AQs began in the late 90s. So I saw all of that kind of take place at the divisional level. And now we've gotten to this point. And it's, it's amazing to me, too often, I think the membership, maybe dependent upon whether they play in this world on a regular basis or don't, aren't fully aware of how the process works. And, oh, uh, sure, yeah. And that's one of the things that I think maybe your program has an opportunity for those that are listening and taking part have a chance to learn. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, in, it's imperative on the division's perspective, too, as we move forward to really explain some of the myths or, or dispel some of the myths that are out there related to selections because – there, there are some uh, misconceptions that we've that we've we've discovered as we work through this. Yeah, without jumping on the soapbox, I can't tell me tell you how many times I've had individuals who I thought would know how this works don't, and then I suggest you know maybe getting on a committee, and then someone who does get on a committee comes back later, not necessarily somebody I've discussed, and said, "Oh my gosh, I didn't understand." Yeah, yeah, that that that's how it works. It's ugly at times, <laughs> right? It's right. ugly at times, but I it's actually a very good process. And you're right. I mean, and and you know. Perhaps to my advantage, I've been in, inside of that conversation, and there are others that haven't. So I do the same. Sure. I, you know, anybody that's in our league that that wants to learn more, my my rack appointments are very purposeful. Uh, they're purposeful in that this person has a desire to understand mm-hmm. more. They want to serve. Um, you know, we don't rotate those through. We we make those those selections through our governance structure, and and I do it for people that reach out to me to say or have questions. Yeah, you know, look if you. You're involved in this. You've been very successful. Your team's there. You need to learn more about this. Are you interested in doing it? And it's uh, it's been helpful because it filters back to our coaches. Yeah, I appreciate that style versus the rotational one, but we don't need to jump into those weeds. Oh, um, sure, no. So this this has been about, what, a year and a half in concept. I know I kind of started hearing about it probably shortly after you guys got rolling with it and maybe about the time you started talking to the committees initially about all this. But... I kind of lost track where it jumped tracks to different directions and, and maybe went back to different stations. Can you give us a brief synopsis of kind of how where it went from start point to where we are now? We had a subgroup of commissioners who originally started with it. It was the concept of talking about 10. Uh, there was about eight or 10 of us as a part of that group originally. We prepared a model that we prepared several models. One was uh, strictly a 10-region model regardless of how many sponsors there are. You know, so we put every every league in a region, and we applied it that way, and went, well, that's just, that's not going to work. Well, of course, we knew it wasn't going to work, but we gave it a shot, and then we started looking at this uh, this model where we had the X number of sponsors per sport, determining how many regions that ended up equating to, and we and we ran with it, and um, it got out of our group. We did it totally blinded from the standpoint of competition. Mm. We didn't think about. We looked at circles. We ran pivot tables on who had competed against, uh, you know, which which opponents for the last year to kind of get us a better idea to go. Okay, we're going to run this thing out. And once we run it out, people say, "Well, we don't play them." Well, we could go back to the pivot table and say that you did. Um, so hmm. we tried to do as much we could with as little data, right? We didn't want to we, we didn't want to go seven or eight years deep in this uh, to come up with something that we felt like worked. We sent that to the championships committee. Uh, we sent that to the sport committee chairs. Uh, that would have been a year ago this past October. 
So we're a year and a half mm-hmm. into this now, and uh, the committees had an opportunity to provide feedback. And one of the things that came out that resonated with them immediately that they, you know, okay, we get this, but we think that there needs to be a competitive component to it. You know, there are things that you didn't think of that we feel like are important. When we look at sports, we always bear that in mind. If somebody wants to move a region or if there's a request to move a region or if there are teams that are being placed in, and there are very few leagues for me now, right? Uh, but they, but right. we have had some. You know, where do we place them? How do we place them? Obviously, they think competitively at the time of the placement is a factor. So if we're drawing this, if we're going back through it, we feel like that needs to be some sort of a litmus test that's a part of this. So the championships committee, the national committee, handed it to the sport committees and said, provide us your feedback. They had opportunity to do that, to vet that through their committee meetings, come back with suggestions that was then brought to the championships committee, and there were changes that were made, minimal uh, changes that were made uh, to some of the sports based upon the feedback from the, uh, from the sport committees. And, and now we're in a process really of kind of taking those conversations, weaving them through the membership, going back to the commissioners, saying this is now what the model looks like. Uh, we've received feedback back from the, from the uh, conferences. Uh, I think there were seven or eight that actually wrote a formal letter hmm. uh, with some of their concerns and questions as we move forward. And some of those issues were addressed. Uh, some of them have been addressed by simply saying that there needed to be a timeline for the amount of time it takes for us to actually evaluate this again. You know, a lot of this is kind of put on a shelf, as you know, and nobody touches it unless somebody asks a question. And um, one of the requests was, given some of the the dynamics of institutions merging, the possibility of some institutions perhaps closing in the next 10 years, five years, we really need to be thinking about looking at this more often. So I think the championships committee is committed to a five-year reevaluation and, um, and they're going to need the, the sport committees to hang tight on making changes, right, sure. during that period of time. And uh, I, I think we're at a great place. Uh, I'm sure that there are um, questions that people still have uh, and probably will continue to have until we move forward with it. But I'm not sure there's that much more um, adjustments that can be made or should be made to the product until we actually put it into practice. And uh and fortunately, up to this point, we've received support at the governance structure level to do that. Uh, at the same time, I think they're always going to be sensitive um, to concerns that may come from sport committees where somebody you know, may have a real reason to have, uh, have a take issue with what's out there. And okay. if that's the case, I think that group is certainly still willing to, to listen to those issues as they move forward. Fascinating. Um uh, it also feels like it gets all the committees onto the same page to some degree, and I feel like a lot of committees have been in their own worlds. That's not necessarily uh, a shot at them. It, it just means that that's oh, how no, things yeah. have worked, um, and now it kind of gets everybody into the same genre and thinking, um, which I certainly can appreciate. And I think the, the last time we did this kind of started that process, but it never got that process off the off the ground. Um, I, I, well, one, I think it, 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 I don't want to interrupt you, but sure. I'll, I'll add to that. I think you're. I think that's part of this because I do. I do agree with you, and and really part of the origin of this whole conversation was was men's lacrosse and mm. women's lacrosse, the growth of lacrosse, yes. and trying to provide this framework to say, okay, how does men's lacrosse go from two regions, oh. which was insanely large, to um, to doing four, five, six? What does that look like? Right. And, it just so happened their conversation as a committee um, 
perfectly dovetailed into this project. And yes. um, I, I'm pleased to say that, you know, women's golf, women's lacrosse, men's lacrosse have proactively run with uh, many of the changes that were suggested by our group as they were developing their own plan moving forward for growth. So they were a, they were a, you know, a beacon right on the yes. hill that we saw and said, <laughs> we really need to pay attention to that. Uh, and I think they understood that too, because they were having that same conversation uh, at the same time. And it, it's, uh, it's, it's worked out really well. So yeah. hopefully we're getting them in these uh, areas where if you grow past this number, we start looking at this number of regions, you know, yeah, and sure, um, sure. it gives them a little bit of a roadmap. Yeah. It gives them templates and it gives them, yeah, as you said, sure. roadmaps and even and stopping points. Hey, okay, now we need to do this. Uh, you're yeah. used beacon. I would have used a different word, especially with men's across those who know me well, know my opinion on that. And I am glad that this didn't necessarily force them to do it. They already kind of felt the pressure that, Hey, we need to, we need to evolve. So I'm glad that, that it kind of happened side by side, but it, it worked out nicely in that sport uh, and will work out down the road. Yeah, um, it will. Quickly, I, I know when you guys, when this initially got approved, because this initially got down to the road to, to almost taking place and all of a sudden flags went up from some some committees uh, as if they felt like, you know, they didn't know about it or whatever. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, certainly, and, and I don't want to be too paraphrased either. But it felt like to me, like some committees maybe didn't really realize you guys were serious. Is that's my take? Because it, it felt weird to now go back and go, guys, we, we've talked about this. This is what we're doing. That must have been a little bit disconjoining. Well, I, I think anything takes time, right? And change sure. takes time, and uh, a lot of it is communication. And it's not academia or in our world that change takes time. It, it happens. It, it's in life, and. Sometimes it takes a little while for these things to percolate through and, and, and be in a better place. And, and I, I'm not uh, regretful of any of the questions that we had throughout the entire process because I think in the end, all those questions helped make this stronger, in mm. my opinion. Um, and, and sometimes it just takes patience, David. You know, it's sure. like, uh, you know, I, I, would we have liked to have seen it move faster from a subcommittee's perspective? Definitely, because we were immersed in it. Mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't say the same for our colleagues. And, and I'll add that, you know, in the midst of all of this over the last year and a half, we've had a number of commissioners that have retired. There have been people that have come into those positions. They've shifted leagues. Um, sure. they're, they're in different places. And so there's also that idea that we have to educate and continually educate. Uh, and, you know, I, I think we handled it the right way. There are two things that stand out to me. One is, you know, this took a long time and it failed once. So mm -hmm. it's not easy. And I think we understood that and knew that. And, and the second piece of that is, to me, this was an opportunity for the commissioners to say, not that we want to move in a direction where Division One is, where, you know, the, the, the conferences make all the decisions and the institutions don't by no means. Sure. But it allowed the commissioners to work within the governance structure in a way that was cooperative and uh, that was helpful about bringing an idea or a solution to the table and then see it through. And to me, that's probably been the proudest piece of this that I've had is that to know that we can do that. And it's hard to get 40 plus leagues on board to do one thing. And there's always going to be somebody that doesn't like kind of the result of one sport, perhaps or the next, but for the most part, um, we had a uh, we had a lot of support and commitment from the group to say, look, we're proud of what we've done here. Let's hand it over to the people that make the decisions 
and and feel good about where we are. And and that's and that's what we did in uh, at the convention. And I hope that's what will happen as we, as this thing goes works its way through the system. Yeah, it's passed the championships committee earlier this month, and now goes on to the management council. What are the official next steps with all of this? I think the uh, the, the management council, if if all goes well, will will look at it in in April. And and the the last time I was a part of those discussions, and, and please understand, I'm not anymore. Right. Uh, I think that the the intent was that the council would actually vote on this. This isn't something that needs a vote. Typically, something related to regional alignment from one sport or the next. In fact, the women's across men's across women's golf stuff went through as non controversial last year, mm-hmm. and I think it was more of an informational item than an action item. Uh, the only piece of this that really makes it. Uh, more formal is that the addition of the committee members changes the the manual, changes sure. the uh, the book, which then um, creates a non-controversial uh, legislative proposal that's a part of the uh, that's a part of the whole enchilada. So, I think um, if it makes it through in April, which of course council could have questions and certainly go back to uh, the championships committee, they've been kept abreast of this the whole time. When I was on council, that was part of what uh, the championships committee provides a report mm-hmm. uh, during each meeting. And, and this was always a part of, okay, where are we with this? Just kind of for your information. Um, but there were never any formal votes taken uh, on the on the proposal. And that will that will take place, uh, I would assume, at the April meeting, if not uh, uh, if not, it'd be in, in, in the July meeting. And as long as everything moves through, we're looking at August of 2021, being the first time we are into this new phase, as it were. Yeah, that that's the timeline that I'm aware of. Now, okay. of course, the, the council or anybody else right. has the ability to be able to change that. I mean, you may have a sport that says, hey, wait a second, you'll hold the fort. You know, we've got something that came up that, that we see as a glaring issue that could slow that down for them. But I, I'm not, uh, I wouldn't anticipate that uh, it would be a major snag in that timeline if it continues to go through. I think that's uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. We touched on this, but obviously there's a number of sports, uh, including ours in basketball, that will move from eight to ten regions. You'll be adding two more. Um, we obviously discussed the, the light bulb moment, but where is uh, how is that? How did that process work out? And, and after that, I've got like three specifics. I don't want to go into all ten. But how did that whole process work out, and, and, and what was it like to try and divvy everybody up now into 10 regions? Well, I, I think it's hard, you know, and, and again, we tried to start with who we felt was playing somebody else. It made a natural, it made natural sense. I mean, obviously, there are two areas that I guess probably stand out more than any, well, probably three, are the Great Lakes kind of mid-Atlantic kind of uh, look, the New England look, which, you know, was the one that probably stood out the most related to the number of uh, institutions that are currently in the New England region um, in, in a number of the larger sponsored sports, and then what, what, what to do uh, in Texas. So whether the Texas institutions found themselves in the West or the Texas institutions found themselves in the South, which you know had, had kind of been probably more of where they'd been. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those were a lot of the conversations that probably were the higher focal point uh, of, of significant change. And, and I think the New England one uh, is, is one that, you know, I, I wasn't a part of the last conversation or, uh, or project on this in the, in the early, you know, 2011 kind of time frame. But I think that was one of the areas that 
they didn't think about 10, but they couldn't figure out how to make New yeah. England more balanced by moving people, <laughs> you know, in those other regions right. around them, if that oh, makes sense. Oh, and absolutely. It, you know, one of the other things is we got rid of New England, right? We got rid of the South. We got rid of the Mid-Atlantic. We got rid of the Great Lakes, and we numbered the regions. So, yeah, I was going to ask, what, how, how are these re- regions going to be labeled and or named? They're, they're numbers. Oh, so they're, I don't they're know Roman if I numerals. like it. <laughs> oh, yeah, Roman numerals. Okay. Roman numerals. Oh, that's yeah. got a little they're more Roman sexiness numerals. to it. Now, whether that'll stay, I don't know. Okay. But, uh, okay. They're, they're Roman numerals. And the New England region, the old traditional New England region, yes. would be region <laughs> one and region two. Okay. Um, and then, uh, you know, you move your way down through geographically. It basically started in that area and just filters its way through the West, which is 10. And, um, yeah, I, I think that was one of the other things we wanted to do, right? which is, was that part of the argument a long time ago? Nobody wanted to be out of what they called the New England region. I don't know if that was a real issue No, but or I not. get it. I get it. Yeah, so we decided, hey, we'll just number them, and, uh, and, and we'll take away the, uh, the geographic uh, moniker. So that's, that's where we are now. Uh, maybe we, we name it after uh, famous Division Three leaders or something. No, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> we could do that. It sounds like a great idea. <laughs> in basketball, we could name it after famous coaches in those in those regions or something. But then that's it gets. Great, count- I think I think that's an awesome idea. So if anything comes out of this out of this phone call, let's let's start making the list. There we go. Then we'd argue about who the list is and where they came from for region one and two. <laughs> oh, that'd be a fun one. Um, it would be fun. I it, agree. Is there an effort at least to try and keep it? I know last time it was in an effort to keep everything universal that the Great Lakes region in, in sports of eight tend to be the same institutions slash conferences, though I know there's some slight differences. Baseball is not exactly the same um, as, as basketball. Is that theme still there, or is it going to have to be sport-specific, and thus maybe not everybody's in the same region for every sport, and, and maybe that causes some confusion for the general person? Well, it's, it's not that way now, and I think that was part of the reason why we had some concerns, uh, specifically looking at comparable sports, men's mm-hmm. women's basketball, men's women's soccer, baseball, softball, you hope, right? Kind right, of thing. sure. And the goal of this was to try to do that. And uh, I can tell you that we, we have accomplished that to as best a possible as we can. Uh, there's a chart that kind of talks about who's in what region, and in some cases, depending upon – the growth of certain sports, uh, we, we do a better job at it than others. And um, for the most part, I think people are consistently finding themselves in those regional placements for the 10 region sports in the same one. Okay. Um, now, now, you mentioned Texas. Is, are, there, are there differences? There are a few differences. Yeah, okay. But you mentioned Texas being a little bit of a, of a sticking point, depending on the sport. Um, and to some degree, Texas is one of the, the spurs of this, was it not? Because for some, they didn't feel like that was a representative of, of this region because it was an outlier, while others felt, well, maybe we should be with them or whatever the case may be. Yeah, and it's a tough, it's a tough one because, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, there's just not a lot of institutions that are near them uh, outside of the SCAC that are, that, that makes sense. So, uh, knowing that the West numbers were always minimal mm-hmm. anyway, uh, I, I think we tried to figure out a way, how could we get that region 10 to a palpable number of institutions similar to everybody else? Is it always going to be smaller than the rest? It is. Sure. Uh, and the only way to do that 
that made sense based upon the other isolated pieces to the American Southwest and the, and the SCAC were where they were and where, where they traditionally are playing. Because they do have a lot of crossover play yes. um, in, in a number of sports and have kind of helped each other through the scheduling process. So logically, it made sense to have them there. Um, it, it's, it's awkward in that, uh, you know, even the South region goes from, you know, possibly as far north as, um, gosh, somewhere into the capital, right? In some cases, yeah, all the way yeah. down through uh, the, the western portion of, of Texas, which is, which is quite a long way uh, yeah. as well. So um, finding that balance and that number uh, really tended to, to gravitate towards sending um, the, the, the Texas leagues towards the west. And they've been, again, engaged in this conversation from the beginning and aware of kind of which, which way the winds, the winds were blowing. But um, it, it looks like the American Southwest, based on the chart that I see, it, it looks like they're ultimately going to end up in 10 and everything. Okay. Um, I, one of the questions in the, 10, in the 10 region sports. Yeah, I know what you meant. In the yeah, 10 region. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. some sports that are going to be less than 10. Just do their yeah, numbers. That's right. um, yeah. The lacrosses aren't at 10, for example, yet. Uh, that's maybe, right. maybe someday. Um, you know, the way they're growing, it could be, it could be tomorrow. Could uh, be. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, is there? I've gotten this question a number of times. Is there an act? Is this template of whatever the regions for every sport out there? And to, to kind of add on that, if it's out there, how much do we take that as being the future? Uh, well, I would tell you this: it is out there. Um, there were uh, a number of uh, emails and communications through the commissioners' group to the membership, meaning the rest of the commissioners. Uh, through a, uh, a document that went out around the time of the convention. And then they, they have that information. That information was then tailored based upon the opinion of the commissioners in our meeting uh, in Anaheim. And then the governance structure has a revised version that I'm assuming at some point in time uh, will be distributed back out to the group. So the working document that I think is probably as a solid a document as you could have at this point in time is, is in the hands of uh, of the membership through the commissioner's offices. So that's the way we've been communicating this from the beginning. Uh, that's the way we felt comfortable doing that uh, and and have kind of maintained that from the, from the start. So they have it. And uh, is that the the other portion of the question was? Is that do we the, do we the, trust the be that? All end all? Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. It could be. It could be. You know, I think that um, there's still some com uh, committee meetings that are taking place that I'm sure are uh, offering, you know, last minute suggestions and, and, and tweaks that they may have. You, you could have institutions that aren't a part of leagues anymore than the now independents that weren't sure. previously when we started the project. I mean, it is like herding cats trying to figure out, especially <laughs> in some of the sports where they're you know, more sporadic membership in certain areas yeah. where people are joining and or spurring off and going under their own league now because they've grown enough to have the sport on their own. There are going to be some pieces of that puzzle that are missing. And, um, and we're keenly aware of that. And I think that that's something that uh, Laura Peterson and her group at uh, the NCAA, along with Liz Susha, have been so instrumental. And I can't say enough about how helpful the governance staff has has been in this process and how receptive they've been to to be patient with us and uh, at the same time us with them uh, in understanding how we need to go go about this because they've been uh, they've, they've been incredible and and 
always have been in my work with them, but uh, this just uh, accentuated it for me. For that growth and changes, and, and a lot of that I know is in volleyball and some of the, of the other growing sports uh, like lacrosse too, um, is there a template at least in place or some kind of guidance in place to say if conferences grow in certain places, here's where we will put them? Well, no, it's not prescribed. Okay. Uh, and I think that as that changes, that's one of the things that the, uh, the governance structure wanted to have in place, which was this review process and okay. uh, that feedback from the conferences that was so valuable uh, as we started to vet this final document through was to say to them, look, we really need to have a way to look at this. So this mm-hmm. doesn't limit the sport committees from having autonomy in what we're doing. Certainly. It's providing them the framework to say this is where we're starting. And I'm not sure what instructions will be given to the group from the championships committee. And it may be, hey, let's sit on this for a couple of years. Let's play this out before we start playing musical chairs. Um, But in the end, I think the five-year window or or sooner in the event that there's dramatic change in one region or the the next, then they'll have to start, take a look and see see what uh, adjustments might need to be made to maintain that balance. Gotcha. Uh, we could keep going forever, and I don't want to. I think you've given us a ton of information. I really appreciate it. Obviously, we have a roughly another year and a half to kind of see this all hash itself out and, and become official should we not have any um, changes in direction. Um, but, Brad, I really appreciate the time you gave us on this. Um, really helpful, kind of helpful to me, too. It gives me a little bit better idea of what was going on and how it's how it's structured, the, the Roman numerals. Uh, that, that'll be interesting, though. I think we could have some fun with it, too. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, I think that I think the big challenge is going to be, you know, versus ranked and how many people oh, are ranked in oh. region. And, and that's really going to fall. I mean, that, that's the next hurdle. So that's some of the, yeah. one of the things I failed to say to you, like, what's next? I really think that's probably the where they're going to they're going to lean on the sport committees and say, you know, um, I've heard both arguments. I've heard more is better. I've heard fewer are better. I've heard fewer better from committee members. I've heard more is better from commissioners. So I think they'll land in the middle. Uh, there may still be a window of percentage of people ranked. Um, I think the opportunity to be ranked is one of the things that's been appealing to the commissioners as a part of this. Okay. And then uh, dealing with versus ranked and, and the selection criteria is always a challenge, right? So um, yeah. that's uh, that's something that I think will continue to, to um uh, I guess boil its way, you know, and what, what, whether it evaporates um, or uh, continues to kind of really be a, a, a big uh, subject with the sport sure. committees as we as we see this through. And it, it I, I think it's going to be solved, and uh, and I oh, think yeah. the, getting their input is going to be the um, the most important part of that from uh, from the selection criteria. Probably standpoint. be a compromise somewhere there. I'm I'm not, I'm not oh, worried sure. about that. But thanks for touching on that because I do know that that's a topic. Uh, I think a lot of people are, are wondering about, too, you know, is there going to be too many or too few or, or something sure. in between? And, and I appreciate you touching on that. Um, yep. As always, you know this. I always give the last word to the guest. Any final thoughts on this um, before we let you go and off to your crazy week ahead? No, I, I think I would say what I've said before, that, you know, I think this is a, a product of cooperation and uh, seeing, some, seeing something through the commissioner's group, which is uh, extremely, I'm extremely proud of and, and proud of our group for doing that, as well as the cooperation that we've had from uh, from the staff at the NCA and from the committees and their willingness to listen and think about doing something different. And uh, to me, that's a sign that we can do something together. Uh, and, and this is a this is a great example of that. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to see this through. Wonderful. I, I really appreciate the time. Enjoy your week at the Salem Civic Center. Uh, <laughs> well, not a full week, but it might feel yeah. like a week by the time you're done. 
Uh, and uh, good luck with all. Well, good luck actually enjoying a little bit of rest on you now that you're off of all the committees. I know you enjoyed your time on them, but I, I know you're going to enjoy time at home now. And it's uh, going to be great. Yeah, I'm sure it will. I appreciate the time and take care. Thanks, Dave. I really appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Brad Bankson joining us here on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, Commissioner of the ODAC. Once again, thanks to Brad for joining me on the show to talk about that topic earlier today. We're not done talking about it. We'll go more in depth maybe this offseason once we get to learn more. I am working to get a sense of what those regional rankings or regional structure will look like for at least basketball, if not all sports, so we can understand it better. But I hope that was helpful for you. I did get a chance um, a short time ago uh, to talk to Sam Atkinson about this because, as you heard Brad Bankston mention, uh, all the committees were involved. Obviously, we're a basketball show. I, I, I would love to talk to all the committees. As many of you know, I, I, I don't just do basketball. There's football, soccer, lacrosse, and other sports that I'm involved with in two in Division Three. But we did talk to Sam Atkinson about this topic and how the committee's been involved in it, and he gave his reactions to it to us uh, a short time ago. Sam Atkinson now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoops Hotline. He's the Men's Basketball Committee Chair. He's also at Gallaudet as the Associate AD for Communications. Um, regional realignment, or really expansion, Sam, has been a topic, obviously, for a long time. You guys have had it kind of on in your laps for about 18 months, per se. It, it started to head down one road, came back to you. Now it's headed down the other road where we're on now. What's it been like from your vantage point? And give us a little bit of background on how it's affecting men's basketball. Sure. And right now, um, the men's basketball committee has been involved with this for over almost two years now, um, or as you mentioned, 18 months. But the process itself has gone on over two two years. Um, and for us as, as a committee, we've had a chance to look at um, the initial proposal, give some feedback, look at a revision, give some feedback. Um, and it seems like you know the the big sticking point for a lot of the various um, team sport committees is the competitive balance of certain regions. And the example with men's basketball is you look at currently we have eight regions and this new model, we would go to 10. Um, so you're looking at an addition of two um, committee members um, and also changing up the racks and, and how those regional rankings are, are done. Um, and we haven't even gone, you know, down that road yet of, you know, how many teams w would be ranked and, and how things are, uh, that, that percentage of per region and how things are there. So I think, you know, for the biggest things for the sport committees was making sure that going to this expansion would make sure that um, it would probably break up some of the, you know, behemoths of the regions, um, northeast, um, more importantly, that has the most teams in, in, in men's basketball but also kind of looking to make sure that if we break up that, that region that we try to keep it at a competitive balance. And I think that's been the biggest thing that a lot of sport committee chairs and, and sport committees have been arguing um, to make sure that, you know, if we're going down this road, we need to make sure it's fair. Sure. Yeah, you don't want to create a behemoth that's got a, a sister next to it that, that doesn't have as much competitiveness to it. I can certainly understand that. To the larger degree, it, isn't this good for it? I mean, isn't it, one, good to get a couple more voices involved? You know, that may sound like more chefs in the kitchen. But at the same time, is it is it not good to, to have more balanced regions to better understand regions? So when we look at a number seven, we understand that's a number seven versus in some region that's a number seven of eight versus a number seven of 13? 
Yeah, I think you can look at it both ways, Dave. I think you could, you know, see how maybe somebody could game the system with now more regions, um, especially if more teams are ranked and playing more more of those different teams and how that might, you know, impact your um, results versus all division ranked opponents. Um, I think that you might start seeing some maybe bigger, you know, inflation there and in, in those records. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but just, you know, I think it's going to be important maybe on how many teams are ranked in that regard. So, you know, maybe sure. you don't go to eight, maybe you go to six. Um, but I think, you know, the biggest thing with going to this new regional realignment is trying to get that balance. Um, you know, I think if we get to the point where we're ranking the same amount of teams from each region, that's, that's a win. And um, I, I think we're close to it right now. With men's basketball, I think a couple of years ago when we made the move to make sure that we were ranking eight teams at, at the minimum for each region, that was important. Um, and they kept it even, even though we have the Great Lakes with nine and the Northeast with 11 right now. Yeah. So I think having that, that split, um, you know, the expansion and adding those two more regions would, would help in that regard. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward and, and how we're told to look at these regions. That was a little bit of what Sam Atkinson had to say regarding the regional expansion. So there you go, folks, a little bit of how that all is working out. Again, it looks like at this point that basketball will be moving from 8 to 10, along with a number of other sports, both soccer's, uh, baseball, possibly softball, I believe. Women's volleyball is on that list as well. Uh, for fans out there, uh, lacrosse, uh, women's lacrosse is already moving, I think, to 8. Men's lacrosse will be I think transitioning to six. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's where they're headed. Uh, football, for example, looks like they'll be moving from four to six. So that might be one of those. You can read between the lines with Brad Bankston. That's one of those conf- uh, uh, sports that that's kind of on the fence right now and what exactly is going to happen. Um, not going to go into the weeds on that. We can certainly talk more about that in the next year or so, even 18 months as things progress towards that direction um so there you go i just wanted to give you a sense of the regional um expansion since we talked about it a bit we got some more detail from brad banks and i appreciate it as a time running a little bit behind because uh well we just tried to jam in a bunch into tonight's show with a lot going on with me today so uh we're gonna take a break when we come back we will get into our coach interviews still ahead we'll talk to josh merkel from randolph macon that's ahead Marymount's women's basketball coach Ashley Rogers will join us. Then we'll go back to men's basketball, talk to UW Platteville men's basketball coach Jeff Gard. And then Bob and Ryan will join me, give their takes on how maybe this last week or this last weekend uh, has changed their perception on things, especially heading into the conference tournament and at large bids and all of that. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. More Hoopsle, plenty more Hoopsle when we come back. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. 
No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. For the love of the game, that's what it's all about, they say. But for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that. It's more about team and the schools and communities we represent. And for the many of us blessed with the strength to compete in sport at the college level, we understand that with what we were given comes a special obligation. An obligation to help those who have their own special needs and whose love for the game is no less intense. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. Since August of 2011, we and others from Division III campus communities have volunteered more than a quarter million hours, time away from the classroom and practice field, reaching across the country to coach and mentor Special Olympics athletes. And to learn that in giving, we receive so much more in return. Help us keep that dream alive. Be part of it. Get involved. You can make a difference. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us. To look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us. All of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. I used to never really talk, ever. I was scared and shy. It was hard to look at people's faces. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. I made friends and won lots of gold medals. But I learned more than just playing golf. Special Olympics helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. We're going to, I promise you, now get into some basketball after talking to ODAC Commissioner Brad Bankston about regional expansion. Really appreciate Brad's time. It's a topic that deserves as much attention as we can give it, and we appreciate Brad for giving us that time. And, and trust me, we're not done talking about the topic, but we'll certainly talk about it more. I didn't get a chance also to mention the, do, the, the donations. We got in a, a little bit today, $75. Thank you so much. We're, we're continuing to take donations through uh, next Monday. Uh, trying to keep pushing, as it were, uh, raising some funds. Really, we want to go to Atlanta. That's the biggest reason. So we got to pay the bills when we miss time in Atlanta to go to Atlanta. So that's part of this. But there's also just bills, and there's upgrades to equipment and all that. I mentioned some time ago, we, I got a nice audio board, but I want to replace it with a really, really better one, and it costs money. And we don't, 
we haven't figured out the advertising thing on this show, but we hope to by next year as well. But we also know a lot of you want to give back. All right, so we're behind time, so let's get going here. Let's talk about the number two team in the country, Randolph-Macon. A lot of people wondering why they were ranked second in the regional rankings. I know from hearing it out that they they were closing in on Emory, but then both teams lost this weekend. Randolph-Macon losing to Guilford, which is kind of the common opponent between the two. Of course, Guilford's that team that will snipe anybody at some point in time. But we're now heading into the conference tournament, which will be held at the Salem Civic Center. So while the loss may be horribly timed in some ways it may be perfectly timed in others joining us on the blue frame technology hoopsville skype hotline it's the head coach of the aforementioned yellow jackets of randolph macon it's josh merkel sir you look good on video (laughs) thank you sir thanks dave for having me on it's good to be here talk about the jackets well i appreciate your time uh to say the least Listen, I know we're coming off a tough loss to Guilford, but if anybody knows the ODAC and anybody knows the Guilford, and if anybody knows Dave or uh, Dave Palumbo there, um, this would probably be the least surprising loss of the entire season in conference. And I'm not trying to diminish anything here. I know you guys are probably frustrated, but Guilford has a a tendency of doing this, especially at their place. Oh, yeah. I mean, Tom Palumbo, great, uh, well-coached team. He's been to two Final Fours, uh, has done an unbelievable job, Elite Eight last year. You've got a, a group of guys um, that, that know how to win, expect to win, don't lose very often on their home floor, and uh, you have to give them all the credit. Uh, they, they played better yesterday. Uh, they, they earned the win. And, uh, you know, we kind of took the approach, you know, there's, there's winners and learners. We, we have a lot to learn. By far from a finished product, there's a lot of things that we can do better. And we thank Guilford for, for showing us some things that maybe we were getting away with before that uh, that we need to fix, address. Uh, if we want to, uh, you know, be one of those teams that, um, you know, is still playing late. That last part there, I think that's the one I always kind of have in the back of my head. But I couldn't I can't put it into words like you just did. Swarthmore goes undefeated. In my mind, I'm like, you know, it wouldn't be a bad thing if someone exposed them right now before they get to the NCAA tournament. There's tendencies I hear from coaches that, hey, they kind of showed us what we're not doing right. And as much as I can preach it in practice or preach yep. it in the video room, they ain't getting it until someone comes out and does it to them. Um, yep. To some degree, let's look at the Fury uh, Wilder fight last night. That's the argument everyone's made about Wilder is that he hasn't had a guy like Fury who will test him. So Guilford comes and tests you. I'm sure the guys are now going, okay, got it, coach. And now you guys can go in with a fresher take but more importantly now they understand anything's possible in these games and and it's not as if we didn't understand anything's possible I think our group knows and and I think um you know part of our let's say scoring margin you know the reason that that is what it is is because we 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 treat every opponent with respect uh we try to win every possession uh we try to take you know every offensive and defensive possession like it matters um but then you play a team like Guilford on their senior day and those guys had a full week to prepare yeah. And we just we can't make any excuses. Th- those guys were were ready to go. They held us to 54 points. Um, it starts with me. Did I have my guys ready to go? Uh, I got to look at that. I got to look in the mirror. And I think we can. We need to learn. We will learn. We have a great group, Dave. And that that's the thing I'm excited about. Is it extremely coachable? There has been uh, zero issues. You know, I think every coach usually goes through a season where you've got some stuff. You know, whether it's playing time or or just. Um, you know, things that you address. And this group has just been all about next play, next man up. Uh, what do we do next? Extremely coachable. And uh, so we now have a few days to, to get ready uh, as we head into ODAC tournament play. You mentioned some things I wanted to touch on. One of them is is the scoring margin, as you pointed out. 
you guys average 75 points on offense, but you're only giving up 56. It's almost a, a difference of 20 points a game. And when you go to the national side of things in, in rankings, that's stuff that jumps out at me right now. And I'm, I have to do this across the board. You're number one in the country in scoring defense at 56.1. You're number two in scoring margin at 19. Sister turnover ratio is number one. Number seven in fewest total turnovers. Number two in, in field goal field goal percentage defense, which to me I think is the biggest number that's important. Three point field goal percentage. You're fifth. Uh, you're twelfth in total assists. So what I see there is you have an offense that clearly is clicking, but man, you guys are stifling teams on defense. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, it's a group that's bought into the defensive uh, end of the floor for sure. Um, and we've got some really talented offensive guys that uh, are, are still getting better and finding their way at the defensive end. Uh, you know, it's always been our, our calling card. You go back to Mike Rhodes and Nathan Davis teams. Um, you know, I, I got to learn from Coach Davis Um Coach Rose has been a huge mentor, but but defense has always been where it starts. And uh, so this group has been in last year's group as well. So we've had, you know, past teams and past players really help lay this foundation that the defense matters most. Um, and, uh, you know, offensively, uh, we got a group that really values the ball, takes care of the ball and uh, keeps getting better. What's interesting about your team, too, is I think we're all used to, to some extent, um, Randolph Macon having a couple of name guys that we're always talking about. Now, granted, you have one, and he's talked about for two reasons, what he can do on the floor, and because his name is perfect for your team, in Buzz Anthony, because, well, you're the Yellow Jackets. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, as a, as a junior, hint, hint, everybody, he's a junior, averaging 15.5 points a game. But then you've got two freshmen, and this is what's interesting, I think, about your team. I don't think we have anybody else we really know. You've got two freshmen second on the team in scoring, and Miles Mallory and Josh Talbert, both in double figures. There's this, you seem to have a different team than I'm used to seeing coming through Ashland. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those guys have been tremendous. Um, so we're, we're, we're fortunate they chose Randolph Macon. I, I think uh, there were a lot, of, a lot of schools going after both of those guys, especially Miles, because of his exposure there at St. Vincent Pilate. Uh, he's been incredible. Both those guys have been incredible as freshmen. Miles has been a rim protector, has really anchored the defense for us. I think has helped us make that jump uh, as, as a team. You mentioned the field goal percentage defense. So we've always been, I shouldn't say always, but the la let's say the last few years, top five scoring defense. Um, but some of that is our ball control and how we take care of the ball. Sure. Field goal defense, we haven't been where we want to be. And in the ODAC, you've got Roanoke and Guilford have been top 15 teams field goal percentage defense-wise. Mm -hmm. We've been on the outside looking in. This is the first year. I think Miles has been a big part of that down low. Um, and then Josh Talbert has been tremendous for us offensively, especially, um, you know, just two really good players. And then our, our older guys, our veterans, have been outstanding as well. And you don't always see it in the, in the stat line, but you got guys like Corey Turner, uh, Terry Woods that have really defended and taken care of the ball and made other guys better. Um, by the way, Clay Nunley will tell you he was never an offensive guy when he was a student athlete, so I'm quite sure that's why they're so good at defense. <laughs> I kid, Clay. Love you, Clay. Uh, I talked to him just the other day. It was fun to catch up. Um, when I look at, at your schedule, obviously it's dominated by the ODAC, uh, as it always is, but you've got an interesting mix this year. You've got the Christopher Newport. You had a second game with Hamden Sydney because you didn't have it in, in conference play. You took on Messiah or Sinus. St. Mary's, Washington College. Your mix has a few teams in there that 
probably weren't panned out like you hoped they would. Some historically good teams that just didn't pan out. But then you also have some in there that I think ended up being better tests for you than you expected. Hamden Sydney certainly emerged this year as a better unit. Uh, but Christopher Newport's always a good test. What Did you have a mentality going into this? Because surprisingly, your SOS is lower than I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, last year, our strength of schedule, I, I'd have to look it up, but it was certainly higher uh, last year. And our four losses last year were to Guilford twice, Elite Eight team, Christopher yep. Newport, Final Four team, yep. Swarthmore, uh, Final team, you know, yep. one of, in, in the National Championship game. So those were our four losses last year. And, um, you know, we, we scheduled uh, – certainly St. Mary's has been a perennial power. Um, Messiah or Sinus, we think a lot of those teams uh, – the, the kind of the – uh, philosophy going into scheduling is let's play some some tournaments on the road, uh, test ourselves, play two games in a row. It's that weekend format that you're going to see, and um, you know regionally we we kind of try to find some some opponents that are really going to test us. Um, and it's not that we weren't tested; it's just maybe that some of those teams I think our sinus just isn't very deep. Yeah. But but that was as good a team as we've played. Extremely well coached. Um, you know, we were fortunate to come out of that a winner. I think they played Swarthmore to a one-possession game. They did. Um, and, and, you know, we, we talk about the Guilford loss, but we've been fortunate in some games. I mean, we, we have been tested at times, um, you know, like like any team in any season. But uh, that's been the philosophy sc- scheduling-wise. And, um, you know, I think looking at the stats, though, because it's been interesting being on the regional committee myself um, and learning about the strength of schedule. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think there's a lot of merit to that. You know, I, I do. So, but I think if you look at the numbers, um, you know, scoring margin last year, I think UVA was number one. Maybe Gonzaga was number two. So you had two, two very strong teams. I, I think the scoring margin, I think the field goal percentage defense, it does matter no matter who you're playing. Oh, sure. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the rack because uh, I know you're getting that experience and you're in that South where everybody's discussing Emory and Randolph making who should be one and who should be two. And I think that's a great uh, microcosm of how that system works. And, of course, you're not in those conversations, well, because you represent one of those teams, and so we're not going to listen to you, whether you try to be unbiased <laughs> or not. Um, but how how has – I don't remember what year you're in. Is this your first? Yes. Okay. Yes. Has, have you had enough time there to either change your perception? We heard from Brad Bankston in our last segment about how he'll put people on from the ODAC who are either interested, curious, or have questions. So I'm guessing you are interested, curious, or had questions. Yeah. What have you learned so far? Have you been able to learn anything from so far that has either changed your perception on all of this or, more importantly, just made you appreciate what's really going on? Yeah, I, I got to listen to Brad, who was way smarter than me, by the way, earlier on the show. Uh, and and he did make me work for it. Um, you know, so... and. And I appreciate the opportunity. I really do. Um, and, and I have learned. It, what's interesting is, you know, you look back and you say, well, would you schedule any differently? And I don't know that I would. I think um, because you have to be careful. I mean, the ODAC can be a monster, too. And I, I always think winning games probably supersedes that winning percentage is going to be huge. And if you over schedule, we're going to go to the Great Lakes uh, event next year. Mm-hmm. Um if you overschedule and you lose five, six games uh, before you even get to the ODAC, you know you're going to play some tough teams in the ODAC. So I, I do think you have to be careful each and every year. Um, and so that, that that would probably be the main thing taken away. I have been in those conversations. Uh, I have voted for Emory uh, ahead of us. I have no problem. I, I 
Breaking uh, news. I'm a good friend of uh, Jason Zimmerman. I, I love that, um, you know, he, he, he is always scheduled and has never shied away. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Nathan, I think myself, uh, you know, we have not shied away from playing anybody either. We went down to Emory two years ago yep. uh, in their tournament, part of our strength of schedule last year. So, um, yeah, it, it's been a great learning experience. Um, and, and I don't know that I'd do much different. But uh, yeah, definitely taking it into consideration. Yeah, no, not yeah, not more about different because again, as you said, it's a balancing act. For some, you have to understand your conference is a weakness. You need to go out there and find a way to strengthen your resume. For others, they understand their conference is is a strength. They have to go out there and maybe at least parse that out a bit and not put themselves in danger of putting themselves in trouble when in conference. So I, I get it. Nobody's got the the perfect remedy, and that's why I was kind of curious your take. Obviously, I can't. I, we got to let you go at some point, but I can't let you go without talking about what's ahead: the conference tournament at um, the Salem Civic Center. You guys have the uh, unfortunateness of the men rotation this year; it's back to back to back nights, mm-hmm. and the conference tournament, even no matter its format, is a grind. And the number one seed doesn't always come out with the championship. How important is the conference title, the AQ, for you guys? Or are you trying not to put too much pressure on things? Yeah, pressure is a privilege. We've, we've used that line a lot. Uh, so I don't think there's any pressure. I think if there is, then, then you're fortunate because it means you've done something well or the guys before you have done something uh, to earn you that privilege or that pressure. Um, I think we're just excited. I think it's a new season. I think uh, you throw all the records out the window. You know, the, the wins that we have, the, the winning percentage, it doesn't mean a thing. We've gone down there and um, have not done things well, I'll say, you know, some early exits down there. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think this group every year is different, but, but we're really excited to uh, to have a chance, you know, to be playing on Sunday and, and um, you know, some good, some great teams down there. I believe the eight seed, you talked about Hamden Sydney and the job Coach Kimbrough is doing down there. Uh, we got we got a great challenge if, if they're the team. Bridgewater's playing really well. Yep. Um, I think exciting is the word. So, you know, we want to be healthy and, and be firing on all cylinders. And we have a lot to work on this week uh, after Saturday's loss. Interesting. Bridgewater or uh, Hamden and Sydney, both first year head coaches at their programs. Um, before I let you go, uh, you, you are a famed member of Salisbury's CAC glory years. I certainly remember you well, sir. And the Goucher's famed CAC glory years. And the CAC is evolving and changing Salisbury, part of that group that kind of feels left with the bag that we've broken news here that they may be merging with the ACAA. Your memories of the CAC and and from sitting on now the outside, uh, having left the coaching job for Randolph-Macon, what are your reactions to what's going on to that conference? Yeah, it's a bummer because, uh, you know, what I remember as a player, and that's what you, you know, you always have those memories, but those battles with uh, Goucher, uh, those battles with St. Mary's at York, uh, on that cafeteria floor for me in my playing yes. career. Yes. Um, and then Catholic, you know, yeah. and, and those great teams that they had. Um, so, so it is a shame, you know, seeing some of the, how that, how that league and just, um, you know, for future players to not have some of those rivalries. Um, I, I hope it all works out for, for those guys. They're in great hands with, uh, with coach Mo, coach Mo Williams running the show there. So. No, it definitely, it definitely a little different. I just wanted to get, Obviously, you you've been through it all. Was it the floor rubber when you were still there? They no, they had to have been rubber, right? They hadn't gone it, to wood it, yet. Oh, it was it was rubber, yeah. It How was the rubber floor. I, you know, I'm 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 old now, Dave. You and I are, are are aging, so it was the rubber floor. 
And I think Salisbury had a rubber floor for a good amount of time while I played there, too. Yeah, they did. Yeah, that wasn't <laughs> fun. Uh, just walking on it brought back high school memories. But uh, anyway, uh, Josh, really appreciate the time. Thanks for taking it, uh, especially via Skype. Thank your wife for helping us with that. Uh, we always give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? Uh, you know, if you get a chance to see us play, you would love this group. And, um, you know, we're uh, we're looking forward to continuing playing and getting better as we as we roll along. Awesome. So thanks, Dave, for having us on. Thank you, sir. Take care of yourself. We'll look forward to talking to you down the road. All right. Take care. All right. See you. Josh Merkel joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Appreciate him taking the time to do that. Uh, we'll keep rolling along because we're a little bit behind time. We'll switch gears, talk to Marymount. Speaking of former CACs, talk to Marymount women's basketball coach Ashley Rogers coming up. But if there's a team to watch, you definitely want to keep your eye on uh, the, uh, the, the Randolph-Macon men's team. I, I think they're Listen, I don't think you should read too much into that loss with Guilford. But notice he even said he was voting for Emory ahead of him when looking at the criteria. I think that tells you a lot, folks. It tells you a lot. There's more going on than just uh, win-loss numbers and SOSs. We'll take a break. When we come back, Ashley Rogers joins us. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More after this. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. It's on us. It's on all of us, and it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no look pass and cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. I used to never really talk. Ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, 
hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go into personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, on this Sunday, February the 23rd. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. And you can also join us on our simulcast, facebook.com slash Hoopsville or D3Hoops or youtube.com slash D3Hoopsville. Though, if you're listening to us on our Blue Frame Technology uh, stream or the Team One Sports website or the Team One Sports app, don't leave those. They're good enough. Just email us, tweet us, whatever your questions might be. We'll get to them as best we can. Um, switching gears, let's talk women's basketball. Of course, in, uh, in men and women, there will be a Pool B pick, um, and they will come most likely from the Atlantic East Conference. That's where the strength of that Pool B will be coming from. There's no automatic bid. This is the last year for that. One team that's rising to the top of that most likely will be in the mix for that bid and most likely will get it, though Cabrini will try and have a say is the Marymount women's basketball team. Ashley Rogers' team is 21-4, 11-1 in conference play. Their last loss coming to the aforementioned Cabrini squad back on January 11th after they unfortunately lost two of three. They've got the conference tournament ahead of them and again trying to position themselves for that Pool B bid the last time they'll not have an automatic qualifier. Figured it was worth talking to uh, Coach Rogers, or at least one of them, Ashley joins us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopso Hotline. First, Ashley, I'm hoping your husband isn't frustrated. At this point in time, you are clearly in the lead in terms of how many appearances you've had versus he's had on Hoopsville. Uh, I don't know. That's not actually something that we talk about much. Maybe that'll come up later tonight. That's why I mentioned but, uh, it. I wanted you know, to stir the pot. <laughs> you like the pot? No. No, uh, no uh, you know, we're very supportive of one another, so... Uh, very excited for this opportunity. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. Um, listen, we are, we, everyone knew going into this year, be the second year that the Atlantic East would get this pool B situation and likely the top team, not necessarily the one who wins or raises the trophy would, would be coming out of it. You guys certainly have that argument right now at 21 and four, 11 and one in conference play. You're on a, a nice little winning streak here. I've lost track, but it's in double digits. Um, you got to be pretty thrilled with how the season's gone. I'm assuming. Yes, I mean, I'm really happy with how my team is playing, especially right now. I think we're playing really quality basketball. Um, I think that our defense is really giving our opponents a lot of issues. And uh, I couldn't just be more happy with where my team is uh, mentally um, and just enjoying playing basketball right now. 
Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I guess I kind of expected it to be you guys and Cabrini at the top, but twenty-one and four, especially when I looked at your schedule, I think says a lot. Uh, you had Haverford, who you guys beat forty-one thirty-three. Second game of the season. Haverford now look, you know, thanks to Gettysburg also having some illness go through this team, but they're the top team in the Centennial Conference right now. Um, you had some of your former uh, conference foes in Salisbury, but you also beat Messiah in November. You had a busy November. You also beat Stevenson that month as well. Mary Washington, unfortunately, tripped you guys up in an overtime thriller, but that game for a long time looked really good on the resume. Not that Mary Washington isn't good. They just It's been a little challenging towards the end of the season. Uh, lost to center, beat Lynchburg. I mean, the, there, there's a lot of games here that I would have easily said, listen, it's going to be a grind. Let's give them a handful of losses here. 21-4 and four speaks a lot about how you guys got through that grind. Yes. I mean, we ha- we never really shy away from quality competition. I knew it would be important more than ever just to make sure that we're trying to schedule the best of the best. Um, we were... It was, it was definitely a battle playing Haverford early on. Uh, we always know that they're going to be um, competing for the top spot in the Centennial. have a ton of respect for Bobby Morgan and what she does there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, keeping those uh, former CAC teams on the schedule um, was a no-brainer in a lot of ways because um, we just know that Salisbury, Mary Wash, they're going to they're gonna give us really tough competition. And then um, we were fortunate to be able to get Messiah on the schedule, and that was another battle. I um, was really proud of my girls and um, how we fought and won that one. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's cliche, but we've just been taking it one game at a time. Um, and we just wanted to have that tough non-conference schedule to prepare us for conference. And uh, I think it's put us in a really great position right now. Sure. Um, when you, you're one number one in the regional rankings, you've been there, both rankings out already, obviously one more set of rankings to come. And you've been through already one version of this last year where you went into the conference tournament, knowing it was a pool B bid, not necessarily whoever raises the trophy that that'll change next year. How much does that then change how you approach this week with the conference tournament? Do is there is there still the the need is the word I want to use for that conference title, or is there also a need to not put too much pressure on this week, considering you're probably in the NCAA tournament at this point in time anyway? Uh, well, we don't feel like any of that is guaranteed. Sure, uh, we're still just taking it one game at a time. I mean, we we want to win a conference championship and um, obviously next year having um, the AQ go with it is going to be huge. (laughs) Uh, I don't think not having it this year takes anything away from wanting to be the Atlantic East conference champion. Sure. So, uh, I I mean, we've got, you know, we're fortunate that we have uh, the first round by tomorrow, Mm -hmm. but we're going to have a tough second round um, game, no matter who it is. So, um, that's kind of just where we are right now with that and focusing on who we're going to be playing Wednesday and preparing as best as we can for them. Last season, unfortunately, similar situation. You guys were 22-5 and uh, five, uh, at the end of the season, 11-1 in conference play. You beat Cabrini on this particular date, February 23rd. Um, <laughs> and then that's where it all ended. Um, is there anything from last year that's that's driving this team still? Well, it was definitely um, something that, you know, we hadn't experienced before just um, 
usually when, you know, we win a conference championship, you get that AQ and right. you know, you're moving on. Um, so I think that uh, there is a lot of uh, – that there's some motivation in that with our returning players um, pushing through the season. Um, and, you know, we're in a similar situation. But at the same time, we, we can't think that history is going to repeat itself in, in any means um, between the uh, teams that we're going against this year uh, in the tournament um, – you know, Cabrini's just as strong, and a lot of uh, the team, the other teams in the conference, have really stepped up their game. And uh, we know that when it comes down to it, all we can control, uh, we can only focus on what we can control. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're just focusing one game at a time and, and keeping an eye on, on, you know, the game goals that we have. Obviously, we have, you know, Big, you know, season goals. One of them is winning the conference championship, and then after that, it's some of it is out of our control at that point. So sure. we're just going to kind of enjoy this moment and uh, everything that the excitement around playoff week. It's a little sure. It's a little fuzzy. I think we had you guys in, um, which you know, not that we're perfect, but it, it was one of those <laughs> types of decisions that even caught us by surprise. Um, when looking at this team and how you guys do, I look statistically, kind of what I was just talking with Josh Merkel at uh, Randolph-Macon Men, field goal percentage, you're 10th best in the country. Field goal percentage defense, you're top 35. Um, free throws, you're, you're one of the best free throw shooting teams in the country, and in my opinion, that says a lot um, because not everybody is. You take a lot is what I really should get at, so you get a lot of points there. Um, and defensively, you're, you're, you're stymieing teams, but you're a really good outside shooting team as well. Is this an offensive team that's really working well and has a defense to go with it, or is this a really good defensive team that also happens to be clicking on offense? I think that that is a great question. Um, I think we've always focused on our defense so much and then our defense creating our offense, and that's what we you know talk a lot with our, our team, and um, especially when we're scouting other teams. But – I, I, I think that uh, what has impressed me this year is, we, you know, we always talk about the importance of having five threats on the floor. Um, and, you know, we've got a, a really big threat in Katie McShay. Um, where we know that a lot of the focus is on her. Um, but we, we've she's got a really strong supporting cast. Um, and with the experience that we have with Gabby Haddad and Abby Fisher, the leadership that they bring, you talk about an outside presence, Abby definitely gives us a three-point threat. Um, we were really excited to see how quickly Samantha Shackelford came on for us as a freshman. Um, she started the majority of the year. She um, can hit. She can pull up. She can go all the way. She can, um, you know, knock down a three when we need it. She's just really solid hmm. freshman for us. Um, and we are. We've gotten a lot of um, great defense. Um, from Aiden Phillips, she's you know someone that we usually look to put on um, the biggest scoring threat on the other team. She's also, I mean, she's our quarterback. She's the one that leads the show out there. You know, she's really we've seen so much growth in her game since her freshman year, and you know now she's been our starting point guard. And mm-hmm. you know, she's someone that the team definitely looks to to be the general on the floor, and she does a really nice job of controlling things and keeping the girls, uh, you know, just in line with what we need to do. Or, sure. you know, we let the other team go on a little on a run. Um, she's the one that brings them back in and gets them refocused. 
Um, and then we have a great spark off the bench in, in Kat Ryan. I don't think her stats really reflect um, the energy that she brings. Um, and she's just so long and she gives a, a, a our, uh, the other team a lot of issues um, in just seeing the floor and, and uh, she's great at anticipating and kind of taking away that next pass. So I think that our full court uh, pressure really gives um, teams a lot of issues. Uh, we practice, you know, our traps and that next pass and, you know, all of those things. And then, you know, really trying to waste and, and take some time off that shot clock. Sure. Um, and it's, it's great because the girls have, have bought into it. Um, it's something in the last, I would say like the, five, the last five years, um, you know, each team has just made it stronger and bought into it. And, and the next group of girls that are coming in, um, they're able to rely on those returners because uh, they're doing a really great job of, of teaching them kind of the ropes and what we want to do. Talking to Ashley Rogers here, head coach of Marymount Women's Basketball, who are leading the AEC, won the regular season crown, looking for the AQ and trying to get into the NCAA tournament on a Pool B bid. Granted, you if you don't get that, you'll get the Pool C, but I digress. Uh, you mentioned a lot of the players, and that's and, and appreciate that because it gives us more insight. Katie McShay, we should point out, leading the team as a sophomore at 18.5 points a game. She's averaging a double-double because she's got 10 rebounds on top of that. And then it's the two seniors in Haddad and Fisher, also in double figures, 11.7 and 10.5. But back to those points I was making about stats, you guys score 70 points a game. You only allow 49. You take about 22 free throws a game. Your opponents are taking 12, and you're making 15 of the 22. I know you'd love to see that number increase, but that's just the average numbers. Is this because you guys are on the attack on offense and taking it to other teams, forcing the issue? And they are not taking it at you. Or are you playing zone? What's going on that 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 results in such a difference in free throw numbers there? Well, I mean, we're definitely attacking the basket, and I think going back to our defense, creating our offense, turning those steals, and trying to score in transition. And I think that the girls have really done a great job as the year has gone on, and recognizing that when we don't have those numbers, running our offense, and you know our. Who, um, with Haddad and, and Katie, they're doing, uh, they're leading, I think, even the conference in field goal percentage. So you talk about our, our post play, I mean, they're, um, they're excellent 15 feet and in, whether they're driving from the high post or, um, you know, executing some simple post moves around the basket. They also do a great job of rebounding and, and putting the ball back up. But we've got a lot of threats with our guards who are able to attack. Um, and I guess, you know, it, it, it's, it's showing in, in that free throw um, stat with us being able to get to the line so many times. It's interesting. Of course, uh, for anybody who isn't familiar, you're coaching your alma mater. You're a graduate of 03 from Marymount. Um, maybe they don't recognize the Rogers last name. It, it was quarter at the time. But you, this is the 40th year of Marymount women's basketball, and you're at the helm. <laughs> and my phone, surprisingly enough, has a text message that just came in from a man you might know named, is that Bill Finney? That's Bill Finney. <laughs> Bill Finney. And he says, Marymount's offense makes their defense. Um, my point being is there's some interesting moments here. It, Marymount's in its 40th year. You're at the helm. You got your 200th win. You now have 201 at Marymount. You have 250 overall. Um, what, is it, what does it mean to you to be basically continuing what is a storied history there and doing so well at it? 
I mean, I just appreciate the opportunity that Marymount gave me 10 years ago and um, being able to take over for Coach Finney. I mean, those are not easy shoes to fill. And what I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate because he's still a big part of my life. He's, he's, he's a huge mentor. Um, we talk regularly. I know that probably does not surprise you. No. Um, he's, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's great because I can just bounce ideas off of him and then, you know, it usually turns into like five stories and an hour later that I just didn't have. But, you know, I gained a lot of, um, I, I gained so much knowledge from playing mm-hmm. um, for Coach Finney. And um, those were those were some tough days. But at the same time, it was, you know, one of the best experiences of my life. And mm-hmm. I feel very fortunate that Marymount has given me the opportunity to um, you know, give back to a school and program that gave me so much. Uh, yesterday, I got a chance to see Candace Signor Brown, better known as Candace Brown to everybody there in the D3 world, uh, at Swarthmore because I was calling the game. They were at McDaniel. I call games at McDaniel. And I said to her, I said, first off, I don't think you and I have been in the same gym since you were playing. And it was probably a CAC championship game. And, of course, her reply to me goes, and I bet you I was tearing it up. Of course she was. Um <laughs> 1,300 points in her career, mainly three years at Marymount. But you, her, um, and and probably, what, about four or five other former players of Bills and, and even assistant coaches have gone on to do so many good things at other programs, some maybe some tougher times right now, but I'm pretty confident they're going to find themselves in better places later. But it tells you what you just said, how much you guys learned under Bill Finney but is there also a sisterhood there in a bit that you're you're trading stories and opinions with each other as well? Um, I mean, there's definitely a sisterhood. I wish I think we all wish we had the opportunity to talk to each other more, especially in season. Sure. I'm. It doesn't surprise me at all what Candace is doing at Swarthmore. No. <laughs> Everywhere she goes, I mean, you know, I was very fortunate to play with her, and then you know, seeing her you know, take the strengths that she has a player and then using them, um, coaching, and then also just being able to um, pass pass that along to her current players. I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all. And I just, you know, with my the, my other teammates that, you know, are and aren't coaching, um, you know, they're doing some fantastic things out there. And it's just great to see. I mean, we, you know, Candace, Katie Jarvis, Jody Knotts, mm. you know, and a lot of my former teammates, um, I and mean, we still talk to this day, and those were days that um, just brought so much happiness, um, sure. and, and it's so much fun getting back together. And we have, you know, we're fortunate that uh, Marymount provides us opportunities, you know, to get back together for a lot of, you know, different things that we're able to celebrate with the accomplishments that we had as players. So um, it's just, it's definitely a family, and it's a, a family feel, and. Um, something that I'm very grateful for and something that I'm just trying to continue with my current teams as well. I am not in the least bit shocked that Candace has her team in the Centennial playoffs in her first year after they won five games last year. And she's got talent there. Um, Not in the least. Quick question. I I saw she had towels wrapped up with tape around the ends. I kind of remember that being something you guys did as players under Bill. Am I remembering correctly? Do you still do something similar? She for had, subs. Now, what she, had, she had what? So she's got towels with tape on the ends that the, the subs are using to, to give to the player they're subbing in for. Was that, for some reason, I'm, I wanted to think that was something you guys did at Marymount. 
We did, and uh, we might do something very similar still. Um, I'm sure if, uh, you know, we've never, I don't think we've ever attended um, each other's practices at any point, but I'm sure there would be a lot of similarities oh, to bet. the things that we are doing. Oh, I bet there would be. By the way, how soon until Swarthmore is on your schedule? Um, whenever we can figure it out. I, I insist mean, it be, be now. Let's go next year. Come on. You know, I don't disagree. We should. I'm surprised that we haven't figured it out. I mean, we played against, we scheduled each other when she was at Vassar. Yeah. Vassar so I'm sure that that's def- it's not next year, but you never know. Oh, the come year. on. Yeah. That's weak. No, I'm just joking with you. <laughs> Trying to have some fun. Um, thanks for going down memory lane there for me. I, I appreciate it. I just got a kick out of seeing Candice there yesterday at, at McDaniel and throwing her for a curveball, by the way. Uh, she didn't realize I was going to be there. Um, and then having you on the show today and then I, 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 the likes of others that have been through the program, I, I appreciate the time and going down that memory lane for me, maybe some others tuning in and going, what are they talking about? <laughs> um, by the way, next year, the, the, the new lines have to go down, um, for men's basketball, at the very least for new three point line is the gray going to stay on the floor. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I got a feeling. <laughs> uh, that and the Oglethorpe floors are my two favorite in just terms of, wow, why not, right? Um, I love it. Walking, so. I will try and get there soon to see it. I was just worried I might need to get there immediately in case they were going to strip the floor on you. That's all. Um, Ashley, thanks for the time. I know you guys have a lot ahead of you, and I know the conference tournament is still to be played, and I know you want to be playing in, in March, and so to at least humor us, I appreciate it. Um, as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those who may be tuned in? Oh, just thank you, Dave and Pat and Ryan and the rest of your crew for all that you do for us. I mean, um, we appreciate the time that you put into it, and uh, uh, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for the time. I know what you did to get, a, get on the air for us tonight. I really appreciate that. Uh, tell your husband I said hello, and uh, good luck the rest of the way. We'll look forward to talking to you down the road. Okay, thanks so much, Dave. Absolutely. Ashley Rogers joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Uh, they they got to wait. Uh, they've got to buy, as she mentioned, to figure out who they're going to be playing in the conference tournament semifinals and then championship game. Those That'll take place the 26th and then the 29th, should they continue on. And then, obviously, they want to be playing in the NCAA tournament starting on March 6th. We'll see how that all plays out. Um, good Marymount squad there. Probably a little bit under the radar, despite being number one in the regional rankings because they're not in the top 25. Um I, I, I think they're making a case at this point in time. By the way, I, they played at Catholic. I almost wanted to joke with her. How, did it, going to that game take longer than going to some of her other games that were further away? Uh, Washington, D.C., Beltway, or driving through D.C., for none of you who don't appreciate it, can be an absolute royal pain in the fill in the blank. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we will uh, go up to Wisconsin. We'll talk to Jeff Gard, the head coach of the Wisconsin Platteville pioneers men's basketball team what has he got in store for the WIAC tournament how does he see things shaking out as they are the top dog in that conference the conference that has the defending national champs that might be one of their biggest tests in uw oshkosh you listen to hoopsville presented by d3hoops.com from the wbca and abc studios more hoopsville after this
College has given me the flexibility to pursue my passions and my interests, and I've recreated my identity for myself aside from just being an athlete. My greatest personal discovery has been that I am capable of doing things that I didn't know I was capable of doing. To be able to study what I wanted to and continue to play the sport I love, all of those things came together very nicely in one package in Division Three. Cheer for the stumbles. The Heat should have had that. And the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified. It's in those moments that champions are born. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. I coined my definition of success in 1934. My definition of success is peace of mind attained only through self-satisfaction in knowing you made the effort to do the best of which you're capable. It's like reputation and character. Reputation is what others perceive you to be. Character is what you are. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, as we are continuing on on this Thursday night. Don't forget, still coming, uh, Ryan Scott and Bob Quillman will join me on the Skype as we take a look at the conference tournaments and where they have, uh, where they are now and, and how they may have changed their perceptions, Bob and Ryan, that is, on some of the conference races and some of the Pool C chases and all that jazz. They're coming up here in a little bit. Uh, talking men's basketball, we haven't talked about the WIAC enough, and mainly because I, I, was, I was waiting for things to settle down which is nearly impossible in that conference. Um, but I, I was 
it's been so crazy. I mean, UW Oshkosh, the defending national champs, a lot of us thought they'd be at the top of the conference despite losing some good players. I didn't expect Duax, obviously, to leave midway through the season. And, and, and you kind of expected other things to play out. I mean, Oshkosh is still second in the conference. Um, but it, lacrosse at one point was high up there and Eau Claire was in the mix and it just became confusing. So I'd wait another week and then wait another week, wait another week. Well, it's tired of waiting because the number one team heading into the conference tournament is Wisconsin Platteville. Jeff guard has his team clicking along at 22 and three. There are three losses coming, um, since Christmas, two of them in conference play, not surprisingly. So it's time to talk to them. Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it's the head coach of Platteville. It is Jeff Gard. Coach, welcome back, and uh, welcome to Greg as well. We appreciate your alter ego and brother to be joining us as well. Hey, I appreciate it, Dave. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> uh, coach, telling me uh, that apparently last night at, at, at Point they were uh, introduced him as Greg Gard. Um, in Wisconsin, it's, it's easy to confuse family members, is it not, sir? That's true. That's true, especially in the <laughs> basketball realm of things with the Bennetts and Yes. And uh, the family trees, the coaching trees that we have up here. It's a little it's a little bit crazy. You're allowed to leave the state. I don't know if any of you have been told that, um, but I don't think any of you will do it. Um, again, 22-3 and three this season, got out to a tear. The only team that stumped you outside of conference was um, a good Mary Arden Baylor team that just hasn't been able to live up to expectations. I know they've been banged up as well, but that was at their crew classic. You beat Laterno prior to that. And then in conference play, Stevens Point got you at your place, surprisingly, on January 15th. And then River Falls got you on the road. Uh, Oshkosh nearly got you in a double overtime game right after that. But since then, you guys have been uh, moving right along with about an eight-game winning streak, including Stevens Point last night. How are you playing, though, from your vantage point? Well, I think it's, we look at it day-to-day, and we've got opportunities to continue to get better and better. Um, you know, and it's we've been getting in some of these road games in particular, getting some some slow starts getting out of there. And I think the big thing for us is continuing to to know that we can improve defensively, improve offensively as well, kind of clean up some stuff. And, you know, obviously as we get ready for uh, for conference tournament play now, obviously you really want to be clicking because um, obviously from here now it's it's one and done. Yeah, it is one and done from here on out. Um, granted, you may be in a good position to make the NCAA tournament as an at-large. I know you don't want to risk it necessarily. WIAC is always a challenge, regular season and conference tournament. How do you prepare the guys, though, to not, and I've been trying to ask this in different ways tonight, but not put too much pressure on what's going on immediately, but with the understanding that we still need to get this job done? Well, I think it's just, we, it's been our mentality really all year long, is just focus on us. You know, and I know other coaches have kind of said the same thing, it's cliche ish, but, you know, just really focus on us. That's been our mentality all year. Uh, it is about us, you know, go out, control what you can control. Um, and obviously if you do those things, you do them in the right way, uh, you're going to find yourself in that left-hand column. Yeah, obviously the left-hand column being the most important one. Let's go back a little bit, if you don't mind. Mary Harden Baylor's second game of that tournament back on December 28th, nipped you by two points. Is that a, a just a, an example of two weeks later after playing no games after the Christmas holiday, playing a second game in a row in unfamiliar territory against a pretty well-coached team, and they just happened to get you? Yeah, I think it was. You know, I thought we, the night before against Laterno, we had a, a hard-fought game mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, and obviously anytime you go on the road, non-conference, you cross the, uh, cross the borders of Wisconsin or anywhere you really go, 
um, you know, you got the challenges, obviously the home court, the the travel, you can give all the excuses that you want, mm-hmm. but you know, I'll give, a, I'll go back and give coach credit down there. They, they were ready for us. Um, I mean, it was, it was a great game and we looked at it as this is a great opportunity for us to learn and, mm-hmm. you know, to help us more importantly for conference play. And, and I think it really did, you know, obviously as we, we jumped back into conference play and, you know, to obviously start out, you know, with stout and then having to go up to Oshkosh and, and being up there, being down 16 um, and trying to find a way to to come back and fight through some adversity. Uh, and I figured they kind of found out the true character of our team and really what we're all about. Interestingly enough, I, I don't know. How, last year, you guys were 18 and 11 after a 24 and 5 campaign, 8 and 6 in the WIAC. And I felt like last year didn't live up to expectations, whether we were incorrect in our expectations from the exterior, but I also felt like you guys had better expectations for what last year was. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that. It ended in the first round of the, of the NCAA tournament against Capital in overtime at Augustana, 78-76. You at least made the tournament. But I just felt like you guys didn't quite get what you wanted out of that out of that season. Does that, If that is true, is that helping drive this season and maybe keeping the guys a bit more focused on the task at hand if that makes any sense well i think it definitely does you know anytime that you you go to the ncaa tournament you're a sweet 16 team you bounce back you got you know a returning player of the year a an all-american and do x um there's obviously a lot of lofty expectations sometimes that's the worst thing for a team you know Mm. is that there's that added mental pressure and you know, you kind of get caught up and and looking on the outside stuff and rather than focusing on what's on the inside and you know, I think that's the one thing that this group, you know, really I'm probably most proud of is that they continually stay humble. You know, they come back in the very next day, and whether it be film session or in practice or in the weight room, whatever it may be, I mean, they're just they're wanting more. And, you know, I think continuing to have that mindset, you know, not only is it going to carry them through the next four years or three, two, whatever of college, it's going to help them in life after basketball as well, of continuing to to strive to want a little bit more and continue to uh, to find that that next level that you can get to. Uh, earlier this season, Stevens Point tripped you up, as we mentioned, at your place, which always is a little surprising, 66-64, and then uh, three games later, River Falls at their place, 74-68, and we mentioned the following game against Oshkosh, 91-87, went into overtime, and you won. What was it about that stretch? Because it, it felt like you had a close game win against lacrosse as well. You had an, an easier win against Whitewater, but you had some challenges in there. Not that you've had an easier road since then, don't get me wrong, but for example, you had blitzed River Falls 94-54 the last time you played them. What was it about that stretch, though, that seems to stand out uh, about the season right now? Well, I think you go back to the point game, you know, and not to take anything away from point, you know, Bob's got them. They played phenomenal last night. I mean, that's the best Mm -hmm. I've seen them all year long on film. Um, And then obviously see them in person, but we lost Shields four minutes into the game, mm-hmm. um, rolled his ankle, and when you have your captain or one of your, your generals out on the floor is not out there, you know, it, you hit a little adversity. you got to try to figure it out. And, you know, I thought we were we were trying to figure it out, but we also kind of got, you know, kind of looking around of, okay, who's going on? You know, Volker's doing everything he possibly can. You know, I thought Stovall, we had a lot of guys did a great job. Um, again, I just think when you, you take a, a key piece of your puzzle and your point guard out of the game that early, um, it rattles us a little bit. And it definitely did. Um, but again, I'm not going to take anything away from point that night. They played well and 
it was a game we had the ball um, last possession, and you know, obviously, just like last night, we missed a, an opportunity to win the game. Um, but we bounced back the very uh, the very next Saturday. We go to lacrosse um, up there. We're down 19, and we don't have shields in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, find a way to come back and win on the road. You know, so I think that really true truly told me the character of our team, the moxie of our team, and what they're really all about, the fight. Um, you know, River Falls, tough place to play. You know, and again, give them credit. You know, they shot they shot extremely well. We had a rough night shooting from the floor. Um, you know, but then we come back down to our place. We make 19 threes, school record. <laughs> um, you know, hey, you put the ball in the hole, it makes you look like a great coach and a great team. <laughs> Doesn't um, it? <laughs> especially when you make 19 threes. Yes. Um, but, you know, senior night as well, mm-hmm. uh, a little added juice into the building and the Williams Field House and Bo Ryan Court. And, you know, I think our guys definitely fed off of that. And, you know, obviously it's propelling us, you know, to, to hopefully doing some great things and knowing that we get to, as long as we keep on winning, we're playing at home. Some things that have jumped out of me, a theme of tonight's show is uh, inadvertently, as I've been looking at some of the NCA stats for the teams we were chatting with, you guys are 15th in the country in, in three-point field goal percentage defense, obviously best in the country, and it's under 30%. You're 18th in your own field goal percentage. So not only are you shutting it down defensively, but you're hitting it, as you point out, 19 in one game pretty well yourselves. You're fourth in the nation in free throw percentage at 78%, a stat that I think has been suffering for a lot of teams in recent years. Fewest turnovers, you're in the top 30 in the country. There's a lot of things you're doing, almost the nuances of the game that you're doing well. You're defending the perimeter well. You're shooting well from outside. You're shooting well when it's when it's bonus opportunities, and and you're not coughing the ball up. Well, I think the the biggest one that jumps out to me, and and I'll kind of go back to a guy that used to sit in the seat, uh, a few coaches removed now, and Coach <laughs> Ryan. He <laughs> was uh, he was big, and it's still a part of obviously Plavo's program, but of, even over Madison with Greg, um, make more free throws than your opponents attempt. Um, and if you look at conference playing alone, and I'll kind of go back, and you know we talked about some of those road games that we were down. Uh, we were down big, and we come back and win. Right now, we got 208 in the make column against an opponent's 181. Um, so when you're making more free throws, and you go on the road last night, you know we're 18 of 21. Um, Stevens Point gets there eight times, you know, and I think it, that's that's a key to success, especially when you go on the road. Uh, you got to be able to knock them down, and then when you get against great competition like we see in the WIC. Um, any opportunity that you can get easy buckets, you know, and that's getting to the free throw line. Uh, if you can get them, you got to take them. You can't let them and leave them out there. And I think, again, that's given us another opportunity to uh, to survive and advance in the WIC. Uh, Carter Volker leading the team in the senior. The senior is at 15.5 points a game, six and a half rebounds, which puts him basically in a co-tie there uh, with junior Justin Stovall. Uh, but Volker also handing out a team high three and a half assists a game, and his assist to turnover ratio is 1.7 to 1, which ain't too shabby. Uh, you mentioned Quentin Shields, the junior. That's the scary part for everybody. He's a junior. 14.5 points a game for him. Three assists a game as well uh, on top of other numbers. And you got two more guys in double figures. Justin Stolvo, as we mentioned, the junior is scoring almost 11 points a game. Kyle Tuma, the sophomore, is at 10.6. And, and we should mention Blake McCann, the sophomore, at 8.2 because he could have a couple of good nights and be in double figures. So you mentioned Quentin Shields, but there's multiple options on this team, and I only mentioned one senior. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the exciting thing about Platteville basketball in the future and where we're at and where we're going um, is that obviously it's uh, we're young but we're old, 
Um, yeah. and I, I, you know, I love that uh, that opportunity to say it. I mean, we've got three phenomenal seniors here uh, right now in, in Carter Volker and Tanner Huzak and, and Tim Bessina. You know, and two guys that obviously more of a scout team guy, but it's behind the stuff, behind the scenes stuff that they're doing that's that's developing and helping in the culture of the program. And you know, obviously we're excited about uh, what's uh, what's ahead of us. You know, with this week in the WIC tournament, um, and obviously hopefully get an opportunity to get in the NCAA tournament as well, and and building for the the future of the program as well. Uh, so speaking of the the tournament ahead, you guys are sitting in the number one spot as we mentioned. Oshkosh, for as much as they struggled earlier in the season, they went 11-3 and in conference play, so the defending national champs have been anything but uh, easy uh, <laughs> in conference play, not that we expected otherwise. And lacrosse is sitting four and Eau Claire, or three. Eau Claire is sitting four. What is, what is the expectation here? Is, is it going to be a grind like you normally see, or is it such be, based on the matchups that, it, that you're not really sure what you're going to get? It's it's going to be a grind. Um, I think the best thing for us is we were in that spot last year. We were three. We had to go. Um, we got, obviously got to be at home for the first game. Had to go to lacrosse um, for that second second round and semifinal game. Um, fortunate enough to win there, and fortunate that uh, you know Stevens Point knocks off Oshkosh in the semifinal game as well. So we yeah. get to host. You know, so it's easy for me to go right back to our guys and say, "Listen, you got to be ready to go." I mean there's anybody in here. I mean, the, the sixth place team in the, the bottom in our league right now for conference tournament falls, knocked us off as their place. Um, you know, obviously point had knocked us off. You know, we've had, we have to work for it. And I think that's the thing you look at is anybody could win this thing. Um, and I think it's just a matter of, you got to be hot um, on the offensive end of the floor. You got to be efficient again. Um, and that's the one thing with every one of these, these six teams that are in here now, are extremely efficient with what they're doing on both ends of the floor. Um, so it's it's going to be an exciting tournament. I think anybody that's going to be in the area that wants to watch uh, quality basketball, if you can get to one of the state schools on Tuesday, Thursday, or Saturday, you're going to see some, some phenomenal basketball and exciting time of year as well. Remind me, the entire eight make the tournament no more, no, correct? You're at no, we six. Just, we just take the six. We take the six, seven and eight um, are out, and then one and two obviously get the bye. Okay. That's what I thought. I know everybody's kind of been tweaking tournaments, so I lose track a little bit sometimes. By the way, side note, men's and women's trackers are out on men's on D3hoops.com, so you can keep track of the conference tournaments on our trackers. Um, if you had your druthers, would, it, would you rather have lacrosse or River Falls? Neither. Okay. Yeah, Eau Claire or Stevens yeah, Point. Uh, neither. <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's it, like I said, it's it's going to be a dogfight. Um, but I think that's the great thing is that you know the competition in here. Um, you know, we always say it's going to prepare whoever comes out of here is going to definitely be battle tested, ready to go for uh, for postseason play in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, and hopefully, obviously, have another opportunity to represent the WIC in a positive way and and get as far as we possibly can, hopefully seeing somebody down in Atlanta. Um, yeah, speaking of which, uh, Oshkosh winning last year, getting to back-to-back conf- uh, national championship games in the process. Um, what does that do in a conference, or what does it do for players in a conference that's got a national champion in it, uh, in its immediacy? Does Does that raise everybody's ears? Does that raise the level to some degree? Does it give your players an understanding that it's certainly possible? Oh, it definitely does. You know, and I think we're 
we're an example of it. Obviously, it's been a few years when, since we've won our, our last one, but having four here, mm-hmm. um, you look at points, got them, Whitewater's got them, and now obviously Oshkosh has added one as well. Eau Claire's been to, to the Final Four as well. Um, you know, it, it just kind of shows that those that really know basketball, um, you know, when it comes to the recruiting side of things, the kids know what's going on. And obviously, you know, there's great Division Two basketball over in the state of Minnesota, um, even out and into Iowa as well. But, you know, there's a lot of those guys that are that are playing here. And there's guys that are in the WIC that are high caliber, you know, Division One, Division Two scholarship guys that, uh, you know, are fortunate. And, again, that's what makes this, uh, this league so exciting is, sure. you know, the talent that's on the floor. Um, you know, it could easily be that that scholarship level might just be overlooked because of size. They developed late. Um, but yet again, guys that are efficient know what they're doing. To that larger degree in Division Three, there's a guy named Duncan Robinson doing pretty darn well for the Miami Heat right now. Not bad, right? Yeah. And I think there was a guy at Augsburg named Devin, Devin George, was it? I yep, think he's Devin, got a few um, championship rings, maybe. There's a little uh, little history with Devin and, and Platteville. Oh, is there? Um, yeah, it was um, ironically, you know, Coach Ryan's era. Um, Augsburg played here in the tournament, uh-huh. and uh, a friend of mine who was on the team at the time said, you know, "Devin, you've had a great career, um, but unfortunately, it's going to end tonight." Oh, he he held. Was that in pregame? It, it was uh, right at tip, I think. Okay. So it was, but it was a it was an unbelievable game, and. You know, again, it just kind of shows the the talent level at this league. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, it's that's what's exciting about it in Division Three. It might have ended, but it didn't end. No, his <laughs> college career ended, and that was about that it. That was so the only thing I, that ended. I think, yeah, I think he ended up making a little bit more money than maybe Mike yeah. is right now. Yeah, <laughs> I think nothing is Mike. Great call at tip, yeah. but uh, yep. unfortunately, he had the final word. Exactly. Um, by the way, I. Considering what we joked about at the beginning, you being called Greg uh, in the uh, in the intros, do you get credit for when Wisconsin wins, and does he get credit for when Platteville wins? Um, no, oh, okay. we joked around about it before. I said, you know, he gets called Greg last night, and you know, Greg today. I said, what are you an AAU coach now? You're coaching two games on a weekend, and <laughs> you know what's going on here. But no, it's extremely excited and proud for him. What's going on? He yeah, had a little adversity, but I tell you what, um, you know. Back was against the wall. You know, they're still playing hard. And guess what? They're number two in the Big Ten right now. Yeah. Um, you know, so it uh, it definitely shows that, uh, you know, anybody that's out there, any team that's out there, you know, you might be hitting a little adversity. Um, stick to who you are and what you do. Um, and that's exactly what Greg and that team does up there right now. And, you know, good things are going to prevail. And, and obviously it's happening in Madison right now. It's exciting to – to be able to watch him as we go, hopefully um, I'm going to have to be recording some of them, though. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's okay. You're busy. <laughs> You're allowed. Um, yeah, by the way, you should point out, now everybody two games back in Maryland, thanks to Ohio State. Uh, yeah, apparently exactly. it was upset weekend across the board in the NCAA. That's for sure. <laughs> hey, Jeff or Greg or whoever we're talking to, <laughs> uh, thanks for the time to join us. I really appreciate it. Good luck in the WIAC tournament. I'm sure – We'll be talking about you uh, next Monday uh, on the second, and then moving on through the conf- or the uh, NCAA tournament. But as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final well, thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? You know, first off, Dave, thanks for having us on, and again, I appreciate for what you're doing for Division Three basketball. And you know, like I said earlier, anybody that's in the state of Wisconsin and looking for something, some great basketball on a Tuesday, Thursday, or 
Saturday. Um, definitely be hitting up the WIC tournament games as well because it's going to be an exciting week of, uh, of basketball here in Wisconsin. Yeah, it, it will be for sure. Thanks for the time. Good luck. Take care. We'll talk to you very soon, I'm sure. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Absolutely. Jeff Gard joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Blue Frame Technology, of course, uh, if you're looking to better your web streaming experience, whether it's with a better or, or an improved streaming platform uh, and certainly server systems and all that, including the Team One Sports OTTs, which you can stream like we do this show on the Roku app, on Apple TV, on Amazon Fire or Android devices, or it's using their production truck technology to stream your productions with graphics and replays and all of that capabilities, give them a call. Blueframetech.com is their website, blueframetech.com. Contact them. Let them know you're interested. Let them know we sent you Blueframe Technology, hosting not only our Hoopsville Hotline, but our show as well. I want to thank Jeff for his time, for joining us and chatting with us about uh, the Pioneers. Uh, Wyack Race should be great. Should be fun to watch. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if there's an upset there and that, I mean, overall, we'll talk about it a little bit here with Bob and Ryan in a minute. But, you know, some Pool C implications are going to be coming out of that conference as well. We'll Take a break. Speaking of the aforementioned gentlemen, they will be joining me via Skype, and we will break down things looking ahead in a week's time, seeing what catches our attention in the week ahead as we are looking for certainly some conference chaos. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. Bob, Ryan, myself, and your questions probably will be answered as well when we come back. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, 
or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division 3. I'm a Division 3 student athlete and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division 3. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. I just wanted to get good grades and to do well. But it also made me realize that I have a lot of career goals. You're there to get a full college experience, not only participate in your sport, but participate in things outside of that. And it's all about growing as a person. My coaches have helped me with figuring out who I really am. Their lives are dedicated for us to succeed. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, on this Sunday. We started a little bit early because we had so much content to get in, and we are here uh, as we approach 9 o'clock Eastern time. If you're listening to us on the uh, podcast or some other way, thank you nonetheless. Uh, and we will be going for a little bit of time here. Uh, don't forget, the uh, fundraiser is going along. Um, I told you we'd be raising the goal. We did. Got a few donations tonight. Really appreciate everybody for their help. We're halfway to our goal, um, which will run out uh, a week from tomorrow is when we will draw it to a close. And that's when I'll make a decision on whether I'm going to Atlanta, to be blunt, uh, to see whether um, I can afford it, because <laughs> it could be a work weekend for me as well. All right, so Top 25 comes out tomorrow. Uh, it'll be our second-to-last in-season Top 25. We'll get one right before the NCAA tournament a week from tomorrow as well. Uh, it'll be the Week 12 Top 25 tomorrow. Swarthmore, of course, number one team in the country, undefeated, will probably stay number one. Number two, Randolph-Macon lost. Um, we'll see how the voters handle that and everybody else along the way. I'm not going to dive in too much in the top 25, but joining us as we always do to talk a lot about this is Bob Quillman and Ryan Scott. And gentlemen, just quickly, your reactions from what we had as a, as a weekend of, of fun, as, as it once again was, and how you maybe initially see the top 25 when we see it tomorrow. Ryan, you want to kick us off? Um, yeah, I mean, we had a lot of upsets. Uh, I, I feel like, though, it, it was games that are maybe a little more understandable at this point in the season, right? Um, there's a couple of head scratchers in there, but I, I didn't change my ballot around too, too much. Um, obviously, drop some teams a little bit when they lose and, and, and kind of move things around. But I, I feel like we're really waiting for these games that count this week. Um, the, 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 the next week's top 25, even though it counts for nothing because we'll have a bracket, I mean, that's probably a little more realistic of where we think the teams are at. Yeah, I agree. Bob? Yeah, and, I'm, uh, and by the way, Dave, do I have this right? Is today your birthday? It is, is sir. Correct? 
It is. Happy birthday on behalf of uh, your friends here, Ryan and I. We appreciate it. We hope you've had a wonderful birthday. I've had a busy birthday, but I've had a lot of fun with the kids, so thank you. I will deliver this in Fort Wayne, but I'm going to give you a copy of my Jack Sigma uh, poster. So I'll be bringing this. I know that you've been waiting for this, Dave, right? Can you see this? I do. That's pretty cool. That's the gift that just keeps on giving, Dave. So uh, I will bring that to Fort Wayne, Indiana for your birthday. So kind of you. Yeah. But uh, I really enjoyed this weekend's game because as a follower of Pool C, I feel like there's a lot of things that happened this weekend that were very significant. And we'll we'll lead into that as we, as we talk through here today. But there were a lot of a lot of games where teams lost that were significant. And so even before conference tournament play, for some cases, people lost some key games that hurt their resume heading into conference tournament week. Um, top 25 wise. You know, I flipped my vote, my number one vote to St. Thomas. They didn't make me look so great, eking out a very, very close win. Uh, Now I have to debate in my head, do I flip it back to Swarthmore? I feel guilty now that I did that. (laughs) You know, I don't know what I'm going to do there, but, like, I really felt St. Thomas was the best team, and then I'm watching that game the other day, and I'm like, oh, my God, I really made a mistake here. So we'll have to see what I do with my ballot tonight. St. Mary's almost – both men and women almost pulled off some incredible upsets this season. Women did when they knocked off Bethel, who swept the rest of the top group in the Mayak. They almost did it on the men's side. Uh, I did see Swarthmore, by the way, yesterday in person, and I finally saw the team I've been waiting to see, as I've mentioned. And I saw him against Hopkins, and I know McDaniel wasn't going to necessarily be the test, but the McDaniel game I had seen them or that they had played prior was a game that kind of started this rough stretch, in my opinion, a rough stretch, they were only led by five. They had to come from behind at halftime to lead by five on McDaniel. Then they they trunked them. Don't get me wrong. It was 80-44 to 44 finish. I get that. But the first half shouldn't have been close. Yesterday, the game was never close. <laughs> they hit their first eight shots of the contest. Um, it was, as I joked, it was over at tip. Um, but It was 44-15 it was yeah. at halftime. Right? Yes, that was. Was a, yeah. yes, and it wasn't that close either. Um, and... But they, what they showed me was they weren't going to take even McDaniel lightly in that game and, and, you know, picked them apart, played them hard. And here's what's scary about Swarthmore. Their B team, pretty good. Their C team, you'd love to have those players on your team as well. So do they have as, does the C team as much talent as the A team? No. Does the B team have as much talent as the A team? Maybe. But that's the scary part. They've got guys on that bench that you would die to have on your team. And, and, and so I'm now back. I voted sophomore last week, number one again. I'm back feeling comfortable in that, in that measure. But, Ryan, to your point, you know, listen, Randolph-Macon losing to Guilford, the least shocking thing I think could have happened this weekend, in my opinion, um, and on some other upsets, or upsets, quote-unquote, as, as you said. So uh, I think I was a little more surprised Heidelberg beat Marietta um, but now we're kind of getting into the weeds on that a little bit. So we'll see what the top 25 says tomorrow. Um, but with the way the weekend went, our opinions and our look, or at least your guys' look on Pool C and everything has maybe shifted just a little bit it, quickly. And we should point out, by the way, there's at least one AQ down on the women's side. It's Chicago. They have won the AQ, so that one's down. Um, just quickly, from your vantage point, how much did this weekend make it tougher, Bob? 
Yeah, there was a, a, a few key games, and you know we can kind of go back and forth on these, but I do think that this weekend some things, some teams hurt their chances and, and other teams help their chances. Like, for example, one of them would be in the ARC, you know, the, the Nebraska Wesleyan Conference, where Buena Vista and Loris were both very much on the bubble. You know, they were very squarely in the picture, you know, in the bubble, and they both lost. Now, Loris lost to Nebraska Wesleyan, but that winning percentage hit is going to be a big deal. Buena Vista lost at Simpson. Simpson's a good team. I believe both Loris and Buena Vista this weekend are sort of eliminated, mm-hmm. you know, matter of fact, from, from the bubble. I think they were already so low and losing, they're, they're both probably in a lot of trouble at this point. So that was just one example of a result this weekend where I feel like teams – you know, probably eliminated themselves from a chance. Well, and to, to add on to that, right above them, Whitworth lost to Linfield. It's another great example, absolutely. You know, putting themselves in a position where that they may eliminate themselves or the Northwest Conference will only get one team in as Linfield beat both wits. By the way, hats off to them on that. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, really impressive what they did this weekend to not only avenge two losses earlier in the season, but to win them. Uh, and get a share of the conference title for the first time since 2001. And to stick in that conference and jump onto the women's side. Hats off to Pacific, by the way. First time they're in the conference tournament since, I think, 03. First time they're hosting since, like, 86 or something like nuts like that. Maybe 96. Um, Ryan, quick score update. We did have a ruling at halftime. Swarthmore only led 44-16. There was oh, an update. Sorry. There was a three-pointer that was changed from a two. Gotcha. So just clarify. <laughs> All right, so, well, all right, so, lots of things changing. You mentioned the ARC, Bob. That's a really good one. Nebraska Wesleyan's obviously a lock. Ryan, we just got talk, done talking about the WIAC. Oshkosh sitting in two, obviously, is the craziness considering how they started their season. But how did how did things change from your perspective, um, or how do you think this conference has changed? Is this going to be a three bid conference? Is it going to be a two bid conference? What do, what do you think? Um, I mean, a lot of that's going to come down to these rankings again. The Central's really where ground zero this year. Um, we we aren't as good at predicting what these rankings are going to be this year. Um, you know, uh, it, Oshkosh is a very good team. We all know that. They have a high SOS, but that winning percentage, I mean, unless they win the AQ, you know, it's just not going to be that great. And and uh, I, I think, you know, there, there's real trouble there. Uh, and then when you look at, at some of the other teams, the winning percentage is a little better, but the SOS isn't quite there, uh, especially when we get the regionally ranked opponents. A lot of losses there. Um, you know, it's it's really going to come down to how these tournaments break out and what the rankings actually show Tuesday this week, right, for the men? Correct. Men will come out on Tuesday this week. Women will come out on Wednesday this week. Men are basically testing a different way of doing things, but also allowing their coaches to be a little bit more focused for Tuesday and Wednesday conference uh, tournaments. But also the rankings will be out before Tuesday results. Uh, how funny is it always that Tuesday results come out and, and then Wednesday the rankings come out and you have people going, but I don't understand. And you can spend time explaining things. Um, on the YX side quickly, um, yeah, I agree. I think, Bob, to your point last week, Oshkosh really has to get to the championship game to have any hope any hope of yeah. having an, an extreme at-large selection here. 
and I'm rooting for that so we can that heck out of that a week from whenever. Is that a week from tonight we'll be doing that? Uh, yep. A week from tonight, sir, yes. Yeah, so I'm just – I want Oshkosh to be at that table with that crappy winning percentage and the great SOS, So we're going to go at it. It's going to be wonderful. I agree with you. Oshkosh has to get to the WIAC championship game. I think there was an elimination game in the WIAC this past Saturday. Yes. I think lacrosse beating Eau Claire. I think Eau Claire, which had already fallen out of the central ranking, then they lose to lacrosse. I think Eau Claire is officially out of Pool C, and I think Stevens Point, which really should have beaten Platteville, they were up big, or at least up enough to have won. Yeah, They lose that game by one, and Stevens Point's winning percentage just is way too low at this point. They would have had a sweep over Platteville. Mm -hmm. They would have had a similar resume to Oshkosh, but now that resume isn't possible. So I think Eau Claire and Stevens Point – their only path in is, is the pool a bit at this point. Right. And I'll, I'll just say Stephen's point. If you didn't think they were out already, they're out now. They're done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ryan, going back to you, UAA, this one's fascinating because Emory tripped and fell over uh, K, uh, Case Western today. Um, so Wash using control. It's not over. They got to beat Chicago. And, right. um, well, that didn't go. You know, Chicago's always game for a, a good upset. Mark McGrath loves to pull those off with his squad. Um, but what it's really interesting is it changed. Is, is Mark McGrath the lead singer yeah, of. Uh, I, I said Mark. I meant Mike. Is it Sugar Ray? Is that the yes. band? Yes. 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 Mike's yes. alter ego. He's actually. That's him. I just wanted to make sure that we were talking about Sugar Ray or the Maroons. And it sounds like you meant to talk about the Chicago Maroons, correct? Yes, I did. I did. Thank it's you. like the Jeff and Greg Gard thing. I Thank you. Flipped it around. <laughs> Good call. Um, What's interesting here, though, is it almost helps the Central Region. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be nice for those Central Region teams that um, if there's a whole bunch of Pool A uh, teams at the top that you can get to the table a lot quicker. Yes. Um, you said that the one thing, though, with, uh, you know, WashU's got the tough game against Chicago, and they're still not at full strength, right? No. They don't have – they've still got those those injuries in there. Um and it's just so hard to judge what's what's going to happen with that team. Um, it's definitely not a shoe in now that they're back ahead because they still don't have the tiebreaker. If they lose this, they're they're not getting the AQ. No, you're right because Emory has swept them. By the way, if no one listened to my interview with um, um, Mike McGrath, Mark McGrath, no, I'm joking, um, with Josh Merkel at Randolph Macon because we were talking about being on a committee. He doesn't participates in the conversations, but guess who? has been voting Emory ahead of Randolph-Macon. Josh Merkel, on the rack, has been voting Emory ahead of his own team. So if people sit there questioning it, if Josh is reading those numbers and he's doing it himself, I think that says a lot um, for how Emory's resume looks in the grander scheme of things. And again, Randolph-Macon had a chance, by the way, to move into number one if they had beaten Guilford. And uh, I think they'll end up staying behind Emory. Uh, but who knows? Maybe with Emory's loss, that won't be the case. Um, Bob, back to you. Your favorite, your favorite non-central region conference, the one that is always full of chaos. We already have our first pool C team on the on the table, as it were. The NESCAC, Middlebury losing. Um, they've already gobbled up a pool C from somebody who was on a bubble. 
And let's let's be clear here. I give the NESCAC a lot of grief throughout the year on this program for you know lack of double round robins and the strength of schedules. But I actually do enjoy watching the NESCAC. Yes, um, and it's a phenomenal league. And what a what an upset! So Middlebury got pounded, like not even close. It was it was a twenty point game like the last fifteen minutes by Trinity. Middlebury is one of, it's funny, they're the number one ranked team in the Northeast, but they were not the number one seed in the NESCAC tourney. Middlebury's a lock. I mean, I had them as like pool C number two a few days ago, and they may fall to pool C number four or something like that, but Middlebury is is in. Um, you had that phenomenal triple overtime game between Bates and Colby at Colby, and Bates had plenty of chances to win this game. I mean, they had uh, they had two free throws yeah. up two and three seconds left. They had every chance to win that game, and if that happens, you know that's the kind of thing that could really mess people up. Is like if a Bates were to win the NESCAC because you have all of these Pool C teams. You have Middlebury, Lock, Tufts, probably a Lock, Colby. If they needed the C, is probably a Lock. And Amherst is on the bubble. They have a pretty good shot at the bubble. So what you don't want to happen. Is like somebody out of the blue winning the NESCAC because that would that would steal a bit, if not two, kind of thing. Agreed. Uh, but yeah, at the same I, time, we might see a, a tighter a number of selections that we mentioned last year. Instead of like talking five, we might only see three. What were you going to say, Ryan? I was just going to say Middlebury was the big one that that uh, you know was a real head scratcher this weekend. We've seen how talented that team is, but they just got out rebounded. Um, by by Trinity, and and that's really been the weakness. They've got those great guards up there, and obviously they're fine for Pool C, and they'll get into the tournament and all. But um, I'm not sure we will see the same kind of NESCAC dominance the first weekend that we are accustomed to seeing. Um, you know, th- this this Middlebury team looks a lot more like some of the smaller, you know, uh, a lot more like a New England college, at least what they put out on the floor. Than, than maybe a traditional NESCAC team, and that'll be real interesting. If you look at the Northeast, it seems like the Northeast has typically been all about the NESCAC, and then you throw in some new MAC, et cetera. It seems to me, though, this year that the non-NESCAC teams are right there with the best NESCAC teams. So you look at, like, Springfield and Babson. You might even look at, like, a St. Joseph, Connecticut I don't think the NESCAC rolls into the tournament this year in the dominating position that it usually does. We'll see how that plays out. I could totally end up being wrong. But I think the Northeast is deeper. Well, there's there's more parity in the Northeast right. here. I mean, we, we saw Sam Jefferson sort of limped in for a couple of plays in that triple overtime game. Um, not quite ready to play yet. If he's back, I think Colby's the best team up there. But if he's not... It could be St. Joe's of Connecticut. You know, they've been real strong, and that would be a big change for what we've seen out of the Northeast. I agree. I think St. Joe's is undersold or underappreciated for the, the style of play, what they can do. They can take teams out of what they like to do. Um, just ask Albertus Magnus. Um, and they're I, they're I think, very well-rounded. Yeah, they've got the size really that are. like Springfield or Middlebury doesn't have that much of, and, and they've got really good guard play as well. Yeah, Williams certainly found out about that uh, themselves. So, yeah, and speaking of New England, the new Mac, Ryan, um, WPI fell all over themselves this week. Um, Springfield gets an OT win over Babson, who we thought was banged up but still has some type of life. What, what do you make of the new Mac? 
Um, I, I think really the the off-string injury for for Babson is really going to be the big harm because I think that was the best team uh, in the conference for most of the season. Springfield's obviously got Ross and Post who are, who are very, very good. But when it comes to tournament time, um, usually you need more than two guys. Um, their, their supporting cast has been coming through more, and they're obviously peaking at the right time. So I think we're going to get the best out of Springfield here in the next couple of weeks. But again, you know... Uh, these these top teams in in New England are not at the level I think that we are used to seeing them, and that will make for some interesting um, um, tournaments coming up. No, I was supposed to soft toss that one to you. Yeah, and, and Babson, if you look at that opportunity they had, and uh, kind of like Bates, Babson had every chance to win that game in both regulation and overtime, and had Babson won that game, picked up the win over Springfield, you could lock Babson into a pool C. As it is, I think Babson is still in pretty good pool shape, C shape. I don't think they're. Uh, I think they're middle of the package. They're still in it, but they would have secured a C. And uh, they're a talented team. Again, you know, there's some injuries there. Uh, I was surprised at the end of that game that they're they're a great free throw shooting team, and in overtime they missed I think four free throws in a yeah. row, including you know you watch Crew Ainge playing. He looks like the kind of guy that hasn't missed a free throw since fourth grade, and he missed two in a row. And then the next guy missed two in a row. Um, both of those teams are good, solid teams. And I think Babson lost a big opportunity there in, in that one. Yeah, I agree. By the way, it looked like the NBA All-Star game. Some good free throw shooters coming down to the end of the game to ice it, and they absolutely choked on it. Um, not trying to say Babson choked on it. It just felt weird. You're just so used to seeing what you see, and you didn't see it. Um, Ryan, I'll go back to you, CCIW. Uh, we now at least have the tourney set. Uh, of course, yeah. we're at a 16 tourney now. Um, obviously, North Central's got control of this. If But if there's a, a conference that will have an upset, I always count the WIAC, I count the NESCAC, I count the CCIW, along with the ODAC. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, you're, you could see anything. I think we're at a point, maybe maybe Bob can confirm, that North Central is probably good, having gotten the yeah. bye. Even if they lose in the semifinals, I think they're probably in good shape. Yeah. Um, the, the rest of the teams though, they, they, they can't leave that up to chance. And, and the interesting part is we've got the, the first round, um, set up with the, probably the worst matchups for the home teams, right? You know, Illinois Wesleyan would probably rather be playing Wheaton than Carthage and Elmer's would probably rather be playing Carthage than Wheaton. So, uh, you, you could see both of those go to the road teams pretty easily. Um, and, and it's an exciting thing. It's just, I mean, yeah, we got North Central safe, but there's a lot more riding on this than typically we see in a CCIW tournament. Uh, the pressure's going to be ramped up probably to NCAA tournament levels. Oh, absolutely. And usually in the CCIW, you've got, you know, a, a, a few, we got at least a couple Pool C candidates that are in strong position. And right now there's not. So let's just assume North Central wins the tournament and they're the Pool A. Elmhurst right now is the highest ranked central region pool C candidate. If you assume Wash is a pool A too. Sure. So Elmhurst hits the board early if it ended right now, but that's the tough matchup. They have Wheaton on Tuesday. That's a really tough matchup. If Elmhurst were to lose Tuesday and not make it to Naperville, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be sitting there on selection day if I'm Elmhurst because all of a sudden they could fall easily behind two teams and that's enough to get you out this year. Uh, so there's no CCIW team outside of North Central that's in great shape. Elmhurst is is in okay shape. 
Augustana fell out of the rankings. They're not even ranked. Illinois Wesleyan's out of the Pool C picture. So, like, the CCIW is in a very strange position, much different than, than most years. It's been a strange year, period. Because also, let's look at the two teams we were talking about for a good chunk of the season in Elmers and Carthage. Carthage, once we got into uh, into conference play on the fourth, goes and loses three of four and five of seven, goes on a four-game winning streak, and now has lost three in a row. And this was a team we all thought, especially with Baltimore on the squad, would be in the top of this conference. And Elmers, who looked like they just weren't going to get you know, mishandled, maybe take a blemish. No one's going to go completely scot-free in the conference. They lose four of, four of five. This you know, conference has been insane this year for its, for its, um, almost for what it's not giving us, and that is an understanding of what the hell's going on. Well, if you look at it, you know, I think Carthage, the teams you just mentioned, the reason that they got on our radar because they both beat Oshkosh within about a week period, right? True. That was a big deal to us at the time. If you look at the preseason CCIW poll, North Central one. Augustana 2, Illinois Wesleyan 3. That's the exact order it finished. My point being, the CCIW finished exactly like everyone thought. Um, people had Carthage Elmhurst right there, and that's exactly kind of where they finished in Wheaton. Um, Elmhurst played most of its tough games on the road in the second half of the schedule. So they played at Augie, they played at North Central, they played at Illinois Wesleyan. So I think a lot of it for Elmhurst was that they had the easiest part of their schedule early, and they had that huge win over Oshkosh. And by the way, they're a very good team. But uh, a lot of it has to do with the flow of the schedule, too. Right. I, I think for, for Elmers, I'm more surprised because they were in control and could have shake, shook up everything you're talking about. So they lost sure. four of five in the middle there, and some of those were winnable games. Well, if Pearson Wofford doesn't hit the buzzer beater, right? Uh, Elmhurst was up. I'm going to forget this, but with 20 seconds to play, they might have been up five or six. Okay. Uh, you're thinking of the other day, 24 seconds to play. Carthage is up six right. at Central. So right. some of the craziest finishes I've ever seen have been this year in, in the CCIW. Absolutely agree. Um, all right, back to these conferences. I'll jump back to you, Bob. Um, Worcester uh, and, and this, first and foremost, their conference. Um, which I think, strangely enough, isn't going to be as deep as I think we're used to. And Wittenberg's still playing with a little bit of fire. But how crazy would it be that Steve Moore, in his final season, may not be able to get to the NCAA tournament, and that hasn't happened since, I think, 07? Well, you know, this is just my theory, but I think those kids have a lot on their shoulders with that situation. I right? don't disagree with you legendary guy and he has been a, as good as anyone in division three for the last 20 plus years right they have been so good if i'm a worcester player and i'm just guessing i think i feel all kinds of heat trying to make sure that he finishes on a high note um i don't want to take anything away from depaul that's who beat worcester in a, in a really close game but worcester is now closer to the bubble you know before that loss, I had Worcester in at number at Pool C number seven. I think Worcester's now like 12, 13-ish, and that's when you start to worry. You're at the 
the whim of the committee. I think Worcester is on the right side of the bubble, but they hurt the resume. I, I think, Ryan, you would agree that uh, that was a pretty big loss they took there. They they really need to get to the, the conference championship game. I mean, that is – and this – you know, you said, Dave, that this, the conference may not be as strong. I think there's more teams who are capable of winning games in this tournament than we've seen in recent years. Maybe not more teams capable of winning the whole thing, but I think it's going to be harder for Worcester to get there than it has been the last couple of years. Um, you know, a team like Allegheny is is not have a great record, but they've they're got talented teams and a big guy, which has been where Worcester has struggled this year when, with in the post. So, um, you know, it, that's going to be a real interesting one to watch. I mean, even Wittenberg with the SOS they have, you know, if they take a loss there, I don't think they're going to be out. But, you know, we may see them not hosting or something crazy like that. It, you know, a two loss team that doesn't get to host. I think it's like the uh, we talked about some other conferences this way. There's just more parity in the NCAC. We usually see Wittenberg, Worcester, and sometimes Ohio Wesleyan, but usually it's the two W's. And Wittenberg, Wabash, Worcester, DePaul, Allegheny, those teams can all do some damage here. And so I think Worcester's biggest threat is, like Ryan said, if they lose before the conference championship game, that could be a huge problem for, for Pool C. They would probably be right there at the end of the bubble at that point. I mean, if they're 19 and 8, the only right. thing that might save them is that regionally ranked, you know, they got four wins there. That that might be helpful, but that's 19 and 8 doesn't look great. <laughs> right. Well, and I think I remember in the past, you know, I haven't been sold on Worcester team, and, and I haven't been voting for Worcester this season, um, but there's always been this finish or they get into conference play and then I sit there going wow did I completely misunderstand Worcester you know earlier in the season I'd be going oh this is the year Worcester doesn't make the tournament and then suddenly they're in the tournament this is the first time I've gotten to this point in the season with Worcester in a very long time where I'm sitting there going I don't think they can make it like there's so much that isn't working you're right Bob I think there's a ton of pressure on this team right now not only to get past Allegheny but I think they need I think their mentality is we have got to win the AQ. There's no there's no cushion to do anything else. And that can sometimes backfire. It, it's fascinating with Steve Moore's final season. Um and they'll, you know, their associate head coach will take over. The program's not going anywhere. But this is a this is one of the winningest programs in Division Three history, let alone this century. They are synonymous with being rubber stamped into an NCAA tournament and usually doing something there. Mm-hmm. It just seems crazy that that we're talking about them maybe missing out. Um, well, and, and that ahead. is the thing. They play Allegheny in this first <laughs> the, the first game here, and that's been a terrible matchup. They beat Allegheny by one, and then they lost to them by three or four, and, and it's just not a great matchup on the floor, and that's going to be a big you know, I know in the last of the games of DePaul that they lost, Hempy scored 40 points, but he was yeah. really pushing, probably taking a few more shots than than the offense would have wanted. And, um, you know, there's so many pressures on these guys, um, like we talked about. And, and that's going to be a real early round game to watch because I think it'll be close and I think it'll be a really good one. Well, again, they don't get out past this game at the, the minimum. And you have any decent amount of upsets. And I was talking to somebody earlier today. I think there's going to be five minimum major upsets in conference tournaments this week. They're going to get buried in the Great Lakes. They're, they, you know, getting to the table is going to be very difficult, Bob. 
that, that's one thing we'll have to look at. I haven't looked a lot recently. I've done a lot of pool C work. I haven't paid attention to the uh, what I call the bubble burster teams. I almost wonder if it's the opposite of what you just said, and there's not that many upsets because there's not that many teams that are in great shape. Um, I could be totally wrong on this, but like a Platteville, they're a, they're a lock, right? Swarthmore is a lock. Um, I don't know if there's as many of those as usual, but I'm going to look at that tonight and tomorrow a little bit, and we'll talk more about well, that as the week goes on. And it depends on the conferences too, right? I mean, if Swarthmore loses, they're not bursting any bubbles unless Hopkins also loses, right? Like, and yeah, it's well, the same thing with Mount, Mount Union and Marietta, right? They would have to sure. both lose in Good order point. to burst a, a spot there. And so I think you're right that some of those conferences that only have, you know, one really strong team – um, are the ones we have to look at, and there may not be as many as those. There's you know, Middle Middlebury like, lost, but they didn't take a spot from anybody because they were getting in no matter what. Right. The, the CCIW, like if Augustana wins the CCIW conference tournament, which they very well could, that's a probably a bubble burster right there, most yeah. most likely, right? So like, um, I guess your Stevens point. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. someone yeah. Brock, Brockport's one of those. If Brockport doesn't win the Suniac. Um, they're, I think they're pretty safe in, and that would mean a spot that's gone from somebody. Yeah, but is anybody else in the SUNYAC getting in? Not. That's what I mean. If if Brockport doesn't win that conference tournament, I think they've got a strong pool C case, which would mean two teams from that conference where otherwise oh, they wouldn't get one. Right. right. Yeah, okay, we're on the same page there. Um, absolutely. No, good point. That's a very good point. Uh, you're right. See, Swarthmore could easily lose in the conference tournament. Well, And this was but the one Hopkins I was going to— is a, a shoe-in, too. This is the one I was going to bring up. We look down in the south in the ASC, and you got Texas, yes. Dallas, and Letourneau sitting there. And you say, well, one of those will win, and, and the other one might will be a good Pool C candidate. Uh, that tournament is out at Sol Ross again this year, which is a long drive for everybody. Uh, there's a little bit of altitude at play out there, I yes, think. It and they've got, um, you know, it's, it's just an incredible home court advantage for Sol Ross, uh, which has a pretty good team, which is why they're hosting. Um, that's one of those that both of those teams end up on the pool C, you know, they're pretty strong candidates. So um, th that could be an interesting one to look at too. That's a, Texas that's a, is about three quarters of a mile. Yeah. It's, it's a great conference race. And, and amazingly, like that's the league that I know the second best this year, because yes. I think Texas Dallas games, I went down to the Concordia tournament to watch Illinois Western. So I saw Sol Russ Concordia. I've seen Texas, Dallas, Letourneau, East Texas Baptist. That tournament could end any certain way. And I think Letourneau and Texas Dallas are both getting in. But boy, if East Texas Baptist or whoever or Sol Russ wins that tournament, that that creates some some issues for bubble teams. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and that's listen. The ODAC's the same way. You know, if if and we always get a deep run from somebody in the ODAC. Um, so yeah, it'll, it that's you're, you raise a point. It's some of these conferences. If Swarthmore loses and Hopkins is the AQ, okay, we kind of expected both to get in. It's got to be the other one that pops the bubble. A right. um, couple other quick things that came off. You guys don't mind a little quick fire. Uh, NJCU, as great as they have been over the last few years and one that we're always talking about, they're essentially done for the season. Sam Tony's career ends without getting to another conference or an NCAA tournament, and they never got past the first round. It's amazing sometimes how things just don't work out. Ryan, you want to take that one? Yeah, I, I mean, 
one of the one of the risks that Mark Brown takes there is they often are bringing transfers in every year. Um, and a lot of times, like like this year, that it doesn't always work out. Sometimes it's injuries. Sometimes it's other things. Um, I, I wonder how much chemistry plays into that. You know, Sam Tony is a great player, but he's essentially playing three or four different roles on that team every single season. Uh, and just whether you get into a rhythm when they get into that tough conference season, if these guys know what's expected of them every night or not. Uh, I don't want to speak too much to that because obviously I'm not in the huddle. I'm not in the practice. I don't know what they're actually asked to do. But it feels like uh, there's a high a high bar sometimes for what he's asking those guys to do. And, and um, it, it's tough. And that's a really good – not a lot of great records out of the NJAC this year, but a lot of good teams in that conference. Um, you know, nobody's going to want to play whoever comes out of there. That's going to be a rough first-round game. That league has destroyed itself. I mean, Stockton, TCNJ, Ramapo, Rowan, Rutgers, Newark, New Jersey. Like, that league – look at all the losses in the top six of that conference. It's pretty crazy. Is yeah. there anything else this weekend that 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 su- not surprise you? That's a horrible term, but you took note of and went, "Oh, okay." Like for whatever reason, just a couple things on mine. I think that uh, we kind of touched on this earlier. I think that that uh, Rochester and Brandeis probably played themselves out of Pool C. I think that they were on the right side of the bubble by a hair, and they're. I don't think they're on the right side of the bubble anymore. I, the second thing I would add, Dave, is in looking at this, I did a little like round by round pool C thing, and you know that's an imperfect uh, exercise. But what I came away realizing is that the resumes this year in, at the bubble are are not what they normally are. When you get down to round like 15, 16, 17, and you can go to the pool C board back a few pages and see what I'm talking about. You know, you're looking at, like, I was picking Rochester in round 17. Their resume wasn't great. I was picking uh, Oneonta in round 18. I picked Brandeis in 19 and Lacrosse in 20. Just look at the numbers that are on the board. And because of all this parity this year, teams don't have great winning percentages and great resume. That's that's a huge takeaway of mine that, you know, you look at these numbers and you think, well, that's not a Pool C resume. It might be this year. It's a little different landscape. And that's before all the losses this week, Pete. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's Hey, uh, uh, two quick questions that came in, both uh, East and Northeast based. We'll start with the East one. If RPI or Hobart loses in the Liberty League semis, are they out? Ooh, in the semis? Yeah, I, I'll preface this by saying the East is not as strong. You know, I had somebody make some comment like, well, they're number two. Like RPI is number two in the region. They're like, well, that, that means they're a top 16. No, the, the East is not that strong. And RPI strength of schedule number is, a, is be damned. But I, I don't think Hobart's in unless they get the AQ. It's uh, RPI, RPI may be a little more bubbly. Um, they may be able to afford that loss. But I, oh, I just don't think Hobart. Hobart's got the resume to get there. The loser of that, like, Right now, we assume that RPI is the Pool A team. I think, correct? That's yeah. what we're assuming. They're number one. Yeah, they're the number one seed. Their their resume is a little better than Hobart. Hobart, I'll tell you what, they would be. Hobart would be probably in a little better shape than Worcester. So, if we're not saying Worcester's, I think Hobart would be at the bubble on the right side. That that's my best guess at this point. I think they're. I think both of those teams are very much in Pool C towards the bottom. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I 
I'm take your vantage point because I haven't been able to break the numbers down as much, but the East is not strong. There's, we're not going to go deep in the East. That's why we were talking earlier about Rochester um, not they being strong. Have, they both have three wins versus regionally ranked opponents. That's that's the thing I think that's their their SOS is you know five hundred eight and five hundred six. They're not in the fours. They both have really good winning percentages in the mid to high eights. And again, they both have three wins versus regionally ranked. So I think at this point that they're both in play for a pool C and I think pool C teams hope that, that RPI wins that league and that Hobart is the team that's sitting there on the bubble. My computer. I mean, apparently. we're in a situation if the, if the top seeds win these tournaments that we might not get a pool C bid at all from the East or the Atlantic. Um, and, and that's just maybe where we're going to have to deal with, especially those fans from those regions um, you know, if Brockport and RPI win, there may not be a pool C. There might. It's it's bubble. And Atlantic, you know, if Stevens and Yeshiva win, there's not going to be well, a, if, a pool C if, team. There. Yeah, if, if Purchase is the first team at the table in round one of pool C, because they don't win the skyline and Yeshiva does, if Purchase is, is there, they're going to be on that board from round one to round 20, and they're not getting in. They're going to sit there on that board the whole round. So I think the Atlantic – very dicey for Pool C, and, you know, we'll see how the East plays out. I think Hobart would get in, though. If anyone's wondering, I have no idea why Ryan and, and Bob's screens are changing shape. Um, <laughs> we're just going to go with it um, and let whatever the systems do what they want to do, and I will smirk at it because <laughs> there's literally nothing I'm doing. Is that like a buzzer when you don't like, like if I start talking about Benedictine right now, like I would just like disappear or something. Is that what would happen here, Dave? Yeah, maybe. I uh, got another one similar. Wants to know if St. Joe's out of uh, the GNAC uh, can get an at-large if someone were to upset them in the tournament. Yeah, this is Bob's bellywick. It's possible. This is uh, you gave this to me because this is a high winning percentage, low SOS team. This is a, this is one of those. I didn't Should, ask the question, but yes. So their resume is similar to a St. John's, right? It's maybe even a little better. They don't they don't have the win that St. John's does over St. Thomas. Um, the answer is St. Joe's would be very much in the pool C picture, and it totally depends on how the process plays out. They're not out of it, but they're not a lock. I'd rather see them get to the conference championship game to give themselves a little bit more right. um, resume, as it were, especially a win. Uh, surprise, not surprisingly, their non-conference SOS is a, is a 495. And listen, I'm not going to knock them because Calhoun and, and the rest of that staff is still getting used to what is Division Three, especially this kind of stuff. Um, but it's yeah. interesting that their conference isn't the one that's hurting their SOS. He's going to learn that this year. Playing, They played two non-D3 teams. He's yes. going to learn pretty quick that and they can't do about that. Year. He talked yeah. about that when we talked about him at the marathon. Yeah, and there's no way that he's crunching SOS, old Jim Calhoun. Oh. So like, but the, the biggest threat to St. Joseph is the fact that they're ranked 7th in the region and Amherst is 8th. If St. Joseph loses in the GNAC and Amherst does well in the NESCAC tournament, if Amherst passes, that could be... That's the blocks. Amherst could get in, and St. Joe's could be the, the first team out. So that's the problem that St. Joseph has, is that Amherst, with a pretty good resume, is on their, their tails. Good resume in some areas, not great in others, but that's what's keeping them there. Yeah, and they good. would essentially be a block. Exactly, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's where Babson ends up as True. well. You know, if Babson loses 
another one they, they might drop down below and I would create some other some other spots there too. So a lot we don't know yet. Right. Gentlemen, I'll leave it on that because obviously there's a lot to break down. You guys will be spending enough time with me on Sunday next week as we do all of this. We'll actually be joined by at least one, if not two, other uh, guests so that I can more manage things while these guys kind of pontificate and then I can add whatever tiebreaker needs to be added uh, to break things up. But I appreciate it as always. Um, Ryan, I'll start with you. Final thoughts heading into this final week of the regular season. Well, I didn't get to chime in when we talked about it earlier. The Linfield thing's been really interesting. I mean, they played definitely the two best games of their season, I think, this weekend. They they beat Whitworth and, and Whitman. And, well, they played and, St. John's this year. Yeah, but I, I mean, I just mean in terms of the way they played in oh, these yes, games. Oh, yes, absolutely agree yeah. with you. Yep. Um, and, and I could easily see them winning this conference tournament coming up because they got to essentially they'll be playing the same two teams again. Yes. Um, <laughs> But what's interesting is I looked back at that and I said, they're 15 and five. They played five non D three games this year. Obviously if those had been five wins that that would help the resume they've got there. But then I'm looking at it and and the geography, and this is something we forget up there. Mm -hmm. Say they pencil in five, whoever they can get in those spots, their SOS then drops down below 500. Right. And so they've got this, this catch 22 up there. They said they don't quite have enough wins, but um, you know, such a hard situation for them to be. And they're really at the only place they can be peaking at the end of the season and uh, hopefully coming through this, this championship weekend to get a, to get an AQ. I agree. Good thought. Um, I'm, I'm cheering them on because well, it, my, my, my reference of an apple cart being disrupted came true and I'm just thrilled that it worked. Uh, yeah. Fun to watch those games too. Um, their, their broadcasters need to turn the mic down a little bit. <laughs> I literally went deaf in my ear a couple times on a couple three pointers. They were very excited. They that was the, this was really the weekend of excitement. The the guys doing the Kobe Bates game, yes. he had a level of intensity for a two and a half three hour period that I think is superhuman. So uh, that was it was a good weekend to be excited. Yes, it was. Bob, final thought. Um, well, first of all, happy birthday, Dave! Again, uh, hope you have had a great day. Um, for me. Looking at this at this point, it feels like there is more drama in the conference tournaments than I can ever remember before. When I think about, you know, all these leagues like the ASC and the NCAC and the CCIW, the WIAC, um, it just it feels to me like there's just more balance and more on the line this week than normal. And that is because of all the parity that we've been talking about since the very first show this year. The resumes of the Pool C teams are not what we usually see them being. And so people are going to really need to, to check the conference tracker on d3hoops.com. You're going to need to get on the video streams and have a million windows up because this is going to be a fun week where you could, you could be watching five games at once and all five games could have major tournament implications. So I'm really looking forward to this week. Oh, I do too. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, thanks to the teams I work for not usually being competitive. I get some time to enjoy it during the week, uh, though I will be calling a lacrosse game on Wednesday, and I'll be PA announcing Senior Day at Navy on Saturday. At least the coach came from Division Three. That's going to be my, my hook with her. Gentlemen, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Have a great uh, week this week. Look forward to chatting with you down the road. and see. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, sir. I'll frame it and put it up in the studio. If that's really coming to me. Happy birthday, Dad. Thank you, sir. You guys take care. I'll talk to you soon.
Uh, Ryan Scott, Bob Quillman joining me here on the Hoopsville Hotline via Blue Frame Technology Skype. Um, real quick, um, I almost forgot. On the women's side, well, last show, someone asked me for the most intriguing conference races uh, in each region. I did the men's last week. I need to do the women's, and I apologize for having not done it. We'll start in the Northeast. Um, this is simple. It's the NASCAC. Nothing against any of the other conferences, um, but when you've got so many good teams in your conference at the top of the country, it's intriguing, but I think there's also some other sneaky ones in there. But let's we'll, we'll work our way to the NESCAC. In the CCC, Western New England's on top by two games on, on University of New England and Roger Williams and Endicott. I think it's certainly fascinating, especially that University of New England isn't on top. But this is going to be a one-bid league. Um, in the Little East Conference, Eastern Connecticut, Rhode Island College, Mass Boston, Certainly interesting. Castleton got themselves into the mix. Mass Dartmouth hasn't been as competitive as they really are. Certainly a fun little one there. Um, in the MassCAC, this is probably Framingham States, who went undefeated, uh, though it's a one-bid league. In the um, NECC, Eastern Nazarene, great season. New England College having a good season. Probably a one-bid league. Uh, in the New Mac, certainly fun. Babson undefeated. Springfield in the mix, along with Smith and MIT. I like the race. Certainly like the race. Um, and then the GNAC, Emmanuel, St. Joseph's of Maine have reacquainted. They'll certainly battle it out. You've got Suffolk and Albertus Magnus along with Regis lurking, but this is probably also a one-bid league. The NESCAC, though, you've got Tufts, Bowdoin, Amherst sitting in the top three spots. Bowdoin and Amherst were tied. But you've got Williams, who, who's having a good season and regionally ranked, and then Trinity. I, I like the NESCAC, and who will come out of it? Can anybody beat Tufts? And how that will change not only some pool C's potentially if the right team comes out, but how it might or might not change hosting opportunities. So for the Northeast, it's the NESCAC this time around on the women's side. In the East region, um, you know, I, I'm not sure what excites me here. The Empire 8, St. John Fisher's on top with Sage behind. No one's out you know, Nazareth is 16 and nine, but they're four games back of St. John Fisher when the season concluded. I don't know. I, I, I nothing jumps out at me about that conference. Uh, Liberty League, Ithaca, Vassar, St. Lawrence, certainly interesting. Uh, the Suniac, New Pulse is on top with Geneseo and Cortland behind them. All 20 win seasons. I think I'm going to lean back on the Suniac. The Neac, nothing against it. Uh, congratulations to SUNY IT who went 16 and 0 in the season, but they went two and seven outside the conference. Um, I, I, nothing excites me. I think it's going to be SUNYAC on the women's side in the East region as well. For me in the Atlantic region, this one's a little bit interesting because the AEC again is playing for, um, bragging rights that don't really exist. Uh, they'll, they'll get the pool B. They don't get an automatic bid. CUNYAC Brooklyn on top. Great, but it's a one bid league. Most likely though, Brooklyn, might be able to squeeze in. I'm not really sure. Uh, CSAC, interesting that Keystone's on top by two games on St. Elizabeth, two programs we don't talk a lot about. We had Keystone back on a few years or a few weeks back. By the way, Notre Dame of Maryland is 17 and 8, 13 and 5 in conference play this season. Certainly different CSAC than we're used to. Um, the AEC, we talked to Marymount with Cabrini, the Mac Freedom, DeSales, then Misericordia, and then the NJAC. It's Rowan, Montclair State, Keene, uh, and New Jersey City. Uh, of course, New Jersey City beat Keene already in that conference tournament. I'm going to lead with the NJAC because I think there's enough, especially with the upset by New Jersey City 
yesterday. There's enough kind of craziness going there, and it potentially could ruin some pool C bids. Mac Freedom is really top-heavy. The AEC, while I am fascinated with Marymount and Cabrini, it's not going to change any pool C situations, I don't think. CSAC's fascinating, but I don't, I don't think we're going to come out of there with anything shocking. Um, Mac, uh, I'm sorry, the Mid-Atlantic, which includes the Mac Commonwealth, the Landmark, the CAC, and the Centennial. Commonwealth has Messiah, Widener, and Albright all at the top, all 21 and 4. This one might have some ramifications on Pool C. Albright needs to win to get in, in my opinion. Their resume is not strong. Um, but you could get three bids out of that league. So that one's my, my leader in the clubhouse, as it were. Centennial, Haverford, Gettysburg, and then everybody else. Johns Hopkins and Dickinson, Swarthmore um, playing as well as, um, well, those are, the, those are your five. Um, fascinating race here, but I think Haverford, well, you know, Haverford wasn't regionally ranked. Gettysburg was. This may be surprisingly a one-bid league out of this out of the Centennial Conference, even though I think Haverford and Gettysburg both deserve to get in. Landmark Conference at Scranton, Catholic, Moravian, and Elizabethtown is your top four. Moravian and Elizabethtown would, would be surprise pool A's. Catholic and Scranton probably have reassured that they're going to get in. If Moravian or Elizabethtown can pull off an upset, it's a fascinating run. And the Capital Athletic Conference, it's Christopher Newport and then everybody else. As good as Mary Washington had to start this season and the number of upsets that they had, they haven't played as well down the stretch, so they have won three of their last four. Um, but prior to that, they had lost four of five. So for my my money, it's a Mac Commonwealth on the women's side in the Mid-Atlantic region because depending on how Albright does, it could kind of upset some pool C's, to be honest with you. In the South region, you've got the USA South, you've got the SCAC, you've got the ASC, you've got the SAA, you've got the ODAC. Um, my initial reaction is watch out for the USA South. The SCAC, I think this is Trinity, Texas, is to take home. Austin is not in a position, in my opinion, to get in. Their SOS is one of the is in the bottom quarter of NCA of, of Division Three. Um, now you could watch Saint. I don't know if Saint Thomas is being invited to the tournament or not. Um, they may win the AQ, uh, win the uh, title, but not get the AQ. Then it would go back to the regular season champ, which would be Texas, uh, Trinity, Texas. Um, so it's an interesting race. ASC, listen, Mary Harden Baylor is good. Texas Dallas is good on either side. East Texas Baptist is good. So is Harden Simmons. You got the SAA, really Oglethorpe on top. It's theirs to lose. And in the ODAC, I think it's a little quiet this year, but you had a two-way tie between Emory and Henry and Washington and Lee, who came um, out of nowhere. Randolph Macon's in the mix as long with Bridgewater. And of course, the ODAC race is always fascinating. Of course, they play at the Salem Civic Center. But for my money, I'm going to go with the ASC out of this one. As much as the USA South one, I think it's interesting with Berea and William Peace both having tremendous seasons on either side of their side of things. I think the ASC has enough permutations. And then the question is, can, a, can they get a couple extra bids in? And furthermore, imagine if you got three out of the ASC. If they did, and I'm not saying it's, it's, it's a shoe and I haven't broken the numbers down, but if they did then you're guaranteed that nobody can play in that first round against each other. You're guaranteeing flights or redistribution of teams. It changes the bracket because, remember, we're in this pilot program that conference opponents can't place each other in the first round. So in my money, the South, ASC is your most interesting race to watch. In the Great Lakes, MIA, M, uh, AMCC, uh, NCAC, HCAC, OAC, and PAC, MIAA, uh, it's a Hope Trine show with Albion trying to play spoiler. All above 20 wins. Hope's a, a slam dunk to get in. 
which means Trine might be able to get in. I don't know if Albion can. Maybe that's interesting. I don't know if anybody beats Hope. Uh, AMCC, it's a one-bid league, so it doesn't jump out at me. NCAC, who's going to beat DePaul? Okay. Uh, HCAC, Transylvania stumbled at the end to tie Hanover. It might be interesting, but I think it's only interesting if Transylvania is upset because then does Transylvania get in with that resume? OAC, Baldwin Wallace on top of John Carroll. I think this one's most fascinating because it's going to have more effect on the uh, Pool C bids. The PAC, it's probably going to go to St. Vincent, uh, though Grove City is having a tremendous season this year on the women's side as well, but that's probably a one-bid league. So for me, it would come down to either um, the OAC or the MIAA, and for just for interest, I think I'd go with the OAC. Uh, I think you've got it more of a potential there of Ohio Northern maybe pulling off an upset and making things uh, really interesting. Uh, in the central region, obviously the uh, NACC, uh, not to be confused with the NCAC, who we just talked about, CCIW, Midwest Conference, SLIAC. Um, you also have, uh, is it just the uh, just the WIAC outside of that? Do I have them all covered? I feel like I'm missing one in there, but maybe I have them all. NACC, Benedictine's on top. Edgewood certainly having a good season as well. Wisconsin Lutheran, who we're used to be, uh, isn't as 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 strong a season. CCIW, off year, no top 25s, probably not going to get a lot of, I don't even get maybe a second team out of this conference. North Park was on top of this conference, and then they weren't, and now Wheaton is. Um, Midwest Conference, Rippon's playing well. They got a game lead on, on Monmouth as things finished. Uh, the Slyak, it's going to be a one bid. The Wyack, Whitewater on top. Eau Claire fell three games back. Lacrosse was, well, according to this, three and a half games back. Something must be wrong there. Um, man, if I had to pick one out of the Central on the women's side, it'd probably be the Wyack. It's not as sexy this year. So maybe it's the NACC. Maybe it's the NACC. Because can a team get in that large bit out of the NACC? So maybe the NACC tournament is the most interesting. And then the West, it's the WIAC, the UMAC, the ARC, the SCIAC, uh, and the Midwest Conference um, battling it out. And the MIAC, Bethel, tremendous season. Um, I think with that, I don't know how many at-large bids come out of that. Uh, the UMAC, it's it's a one-bid league, though Bethany Lutheran having a tremendous season. They may be able to make it a two-bid if they're upset. ARC, Wartburg, and Loris are probably punched themselves into the tournament. No, Nothing exciting there. Skyak, I think, is fun, but I think it's only Redlands unless they're upset. I don't even know if Redlands can get in, though, as an at-large. Northwest Conference, Whitman has walked away from everybody. George Fox has stumbled. I think what might make this interesting is if George Fox can right the ship, as it were, and force two teams to come out of here, but three teams are not. So in my opinion, I think it might come down to the Mayak. Um, can anybody upset Bethel, and can they get multiple bids in from the Mayak? So the Mayak race would be my most interesting in the west side. Um, so there you go. That's going to wrap up Hoopsville today. I really appreciate everybody who tuned in. Just double-checking we don't have any other outstanding questions it might have been floating around uh some of you email me some information that's great i'm going to save it for another show like rick minton thank you for your information i'm also going to double check it because sometimes some other things can take place but really appreciate it um ronk i got your message about merkel i just didn't find a way to sneak it in i apologize sir 
Um, by the way, uh, another game postponed really was moved to another site because of a broken backboard. I'll leave you on this note. I made a tweet saying, well, maybe more conferences will uh, ban pregame um, dunking, as it were. I am told it's not just as easy as doing that. I'm going to chase this a little bit more, but it sounds like the rules committee must allow a conference to put a rule in such as that to allow for a Class B technical free throws to be shot should someone be caught dunking. Obviously, there can be non-game-related um, ramifications for someone making a decision like that. But uh, we're going to chase that. I want to see where that goes. I also wouldn't be surprised if possibly um, conferences or, or the division as a whole comes together to maybe ban it. I don't think that succeeds as much. But if there's a division that wants to talk about banning pregame dunking, it's Division Three because while there's a handful of teams that probably have a stanchion and can swap that stanchion out or replace the backboard quickly, the vast majority of Division Three schools either don't have stanchions or just simply don't have backup backboards. Um, well, I'm going to chase it, get more information, Try and dig in a little bit deeper and learn it a little bit better and, and get a better understanding of where things stand. Uh, our friend at D3 Men's Basketball Bracketology writes good stuff on Hoopsville tonight with myself, um, Bob, and Ryan discussing conference tournaments in the bubble. Lots of intrigue this year with several strong leagues having only one or two teams that appear safe. You're right. I think this year is a little bit different this year. Matt Snyder, by the way, earlier uh, tweeting out about uh, pivot table when we had our conversation with Brad Bankston about regional expansion, which is coming. Thursday show coming up 7 o'clock Eastern time. I may not talk to as many teams as we normally are. I'm still hashing out how I want to put that show together, but because there will be so much going on, our interviews might be a little bit different, more in-depth on Division Three and such. We also may move our committee chair meetings, if they happen to be listening to us tonight, we may ask our committee chairs if they'll come on Thursday's show instead of appearing on Sunday's show, which is usually pre-taped anyway, Reason being, it will give you, the fans, or anybody else out there, a better understanding from what we hear from those committee chairs leading up to selections on Sunday instead of hearing it right before we do all the work and it's all over. It'll give you maybe a better understanding as we go into the weekend of what these committees will be doing over the weekend to make selections. A reminder, the men's rankings will come out on Tuesday this week. Tuesday, which means tomorrow the racks will be meeting. They usually meet on a Tuesday. They'll be meeting on Monday instead to do their work. And then Tuesday, the National Committee will meet in the morning. They normally meet on Wednesdays. And the regional rankings for men will appear that afternoon. The women will still be on Wednesday. If you're asking why, as we have discussed in the past, the men are essentially trialing a different way of doing it. First off, uh, I think some are are a little frustrated that the rankings come out on Wednesday. We may have had a results on Tuesday that raises questions. People get confused because we may have had some upsets on Tuesday and they're not reflected in the rankings, which they wouldn't be, but it confuses people. So maybe get them out on Tuesday before those games. The other reason is there are coaches on these racks and national committees that may have games on Tuesday or Wednesday, and this might give them a little bit more time to prepare themselves for what are very important games, obviously. The only challenge will be that the NCAA side, whoever compiles the data, is aware of the change, like in their head. I know they're aware of it, but my point is they remember it. Or more importantly, they're capable of turning the data around. I'm sure they are. 
But I also know that sometimes those are the kind of hurdles you run into. Uh, if this works out, don't be surprised if regional rankings are moved to Tuesdays in the future. Um, I don't think it's the end of the world. Certainly makes some sense. Um, we'll just see how this works this week for the men. And again, the women will come out traditionally like they always are on Wednesday. But we'll see how this plays out. We'll see how this plays out. So again, Thursday will be on the air, 7 o'clock Eastern. Sunday, we're still working on our timing, but probably going on the air no later than 6 p.m. Eastern. And we'll have our two panels, men and women, doing our mock selections. Next Monday, we have normally tried to get our show on the air as soon after the men's and women's brackets are released. The men's um, bracket shows at 1230 on March 2nd, Eastern Time. The women's is at 2.30 Eastern time on that day. And we try and get on the air, I think, something like 3.30 or so. To be honest with you, it is chaos in this studio trying to do that. Barring somebody upstairs saying otherwise, we will go on the air 7 o'clock Eastern time or so. We'll finalize that, but it'll be an evening show on Monday to break down the brackets. That will give us a little bit more time to get with the guests we want, get them timed, get them on the show, whatever the case needs to be to get them on that evening so there you go thank you everybody for tuning in i want to thank our guests um i want to thank um well hold on i don't want to screw this up and i am likely to screw it up um because well that's what happens when i do this show sometimes um from new jersey city women's basketball congratulations to them patrick devaney for joining us on the show they are on to the uh Next round of the NJAC tournament. I appreciate him coming on at the last minute. And thank Ira Thor for helping us uh, arrange that despite a busy weekend as well. Uh, I want to thank Brad Bankston from the Old Dominion Athletic Conference for coming on and talking about regional expansion. I want to thank J.J. Nekoloff, his assistant as well, or associate. I don't remember what J.J.'s title is anymore, for helping us get some uh, some some small things together for that as well. Um, and really, though, thanks to Brad for coming on and talking about it and spending time with us. Uh, from Randolph Macon, oh, Sam Atkinson, by the way, he spent some time answering the question about, uh, uh, from his vantage point, about regional expansion. Josh Merkel, want to thank him for coming on for Salisbury. Phil, their SID uh, there as well. For Marymount, I want to thank Ashley Rogers for coming on. want to thank their SID. Uh, he's taken over more of a role, uh, but uh, Josh Levesque, appreciate your help, Josh, for getting him on. Uh, and Jeff Gard from Platteville. Great chatting with Jeff about the Pioneers men's basketball team. Lindsay, thank you for your help as well in the sports information office. That'll be it, folks. We'll be back on the air Thursday, 7 o'clock Eastern time, with plenty more Hoopsville to discuss. I want to thank, D3, or of course, the entire staff at D3 Hoops for their help. I also want to thank um, those at the National Association of Basketball Coaches, Women's, Association, Women's Basketball Coaches Association. We'll have a center court segment on Thursday, by the way, speaking of a little bit different. I also want to thank our partners at Blue Frame Technology. Don't forget, our fundraiser continues. We're now up to $3,800 of a goal of $7,500. We want that done by Monday, March 2nd. We hope to hit that goal. That would probably, If we hit that goal or go past that goal, we will assuredly be going to Atlanta for the Division Three championship game at the Division One Final Four. If we don't hit that goal, it's touchy. To be blunt, it'll be touchy on whether we can get to Atlanta this year. You've been listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. Thanks to our partners also at Blue Frame Technology. If you want to talk Division Three basketball, you've got to watch Hoopsville. Thanks for tuning in either live, on demand, or via the podcast. We'll see you on Thursday. Good night, everybody.